Welcome back to Word Balloon, the comic book conversation show. John Suntress here. Great double feature for you today. We're going to be talking to Frank Santo Padre. You might know Frank's co-host, Gilbert Gottfried, a bit better. They host the amazing Colossal Podcast, and uh, they are about to have their 100th episode. Frank is a great comedy writer, comedian. We talk about his day job writing for The View and some past jobs like writing for Wacky Packages and Bazooka Joe for the Tops Company, uh, friends like Drew Friedman, uh, experiences like uh, seeing the uh, funeral of Curly Joe Dorita, the final stooge, those kinds of fun conversations with Frank Santo Padre to start things off on today's word balloon in part two jesse blaze snyder joins us to talk about his new project black light district it's a combination of his music and comic ideas he's got all-star creators helping him out on the comic book side and it's a very interesting set of i don't know what you'd call them sonnets uh because they are uh, the lyrics to the uh, comics and uh, the music that he provides. Very interesting project. We're going to show you an example in uh, part two of our conversation with Jesse Blaze right here on Word Balloon. It's all brought to you by InStock Trades at InStockTrades.com, where amazing deals are happening now at InStock Trades on things like I Hate Fairyland. Scotty Young's great book, uh, Volume 1, is finally out. It's 50% off. It's just $4.99. Reach back for an amazing run on The Flash from Grant Morrison and Mark Miller. Uh, This was uh, back in uh, the early 2000s, and uh, it's a great trade, 50% off, just $9.99. Deadpool, the world's greatest comic magazine. It's a great collection from our pals Jerry Duggan and Mike Hawthorne with uh, covers by Tony Moore. Very fun stuff. 45% off, just $8.79. And that's all from InStockTrades.com. We'll tell you more deals at the end of the show, but uh, check them out for yourself, InStockTrades.com. Word Balloon is also brought to you by the League of Word Balloon listeners via Patreon. Thank you very much for your support. Uh, It's really appreciated. And uh, convention season is coming, and you folks make it easier for me to get to the shows, make the connections, and make for interesting conversation that we present to you here on Word Balloon. If you want to help support Word Balloon via Patreon, uh, go to wordballoon.com, click on the Patreon ad or the Patreon tab, and it'll tell you how to donate. And again, Thank you for your support, League of Word Balloon listeners. Okay, this was a real treat, and I've been trying to uh, arrange for this for a while, and finally our schedules meshed a couple weeks ago. Frank Santo Padre, uh, you may not know the name, but if you listen to Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal Podcast, he is uh, Gilbert's co-host and uh, is a great fan of the stuff that we love, old TV, old movies. You're going to be able to tell from this conversation. He also has a really interesting comedy writer job. Uh, he writes for award shows, but also his day job is he writes for The View at ABC. And as he says, it's kind of weird because it's the first comedy show that he wrote for that is actually run by the news division. But uh, really interesting stuff. I think he has great stories, and it was a lot of fun meeting Frank. And I'm uh, looking forward to hopefully uh, touching base with him in New York later this year at uh, New York Comic Con. And hopefully we'll provide you more information and entertainment. But uh, Frank and Gilbert are celebrating uh, the amazing podcast's uh, 100th episode, and I recommend you go check it out if you haven't already listened to it, but I know a lot of my fans already listen to the show. Very funny one-on-one interviews, or I suppose two-on-one interviews, with uh, a lot of interesting celebrities. So uh, let's uh, hear from the man himself. Frank Santo Padre joins us now on Word Balloon. I'm thrilled to uh, talk to uh, one of the co-hosts of my favorite uh, podcast, and that's uh, Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal Podcast. And uh, I've got his Robin to Gilbert's Batman. It's uh, Frank Santo Padre. 
You know, what a terrifying image. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't want to put you in the short green pants or anything. But, <laughs> but thanks for coming on, man. It's a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be asked. You know, thanks, for, and thank, thanks for all your kind words about the show. It means a lot to us. Huge, man. Huge fan. Absolutely. And, God, you know, uh, well done in terms of finding and uh, letting us know that some of these celebrities are still alive. I was just telling you off the air. Man, 91 or 92-year-old Larry Storch? I think Larry's coming in at 90. Oh, God. He should be, he should be 93 or 94. I'm losing track. Wow. I just what? saw I just saw him last night on SOB on uh, Turner Classic. Oh Movies. yes, I just recorded it. I just <laughs> recorded it to watch it. I'm a big Blake Edwards guy. Well, you know he worked for Blake Edwards a lot. He was in um, a movie called The Great Race. Oh, I always forget that he's in The Great Race. Yeah, Absolutely, he's, man. He's the Texas Jack. He's the local uh, the local <laughs> ruffian that shows up when they go to the town of Baracho. Larry's Larry's a legend. You know. Part of the, the, the fun and the appeal of doing a show like this is bringing these people to new generations. We would get mail from people periodically saying, well, I didn't know who Larry Storch was, or I didn't know who Barbara Feldon was, so thanks for bringing these people, putting these people on my radar. And, that, you know, that feels good. Absolutely, That's man. That's gratifying. Yeah, no, honestly, uh, every week it's a smile. Pat Cooper recently, you just released... And yeah, another another guy who I grew up listening to, sure. Absolutely. And, you know, uh, a, a local television show that uh, I did here and where I was robbing to another guy's Batman, uh, we, we had Pat on the radio back in the 90s. I think when, uh-huh. uh, when the Cubs played the Yankees in one of the first interleague uh, series games and stuff in baseball. But uh, every time, man, we'd talk about uh, pops, possible guests for the TV show. I'm like, fly Pat Cooper out here, man. You know he's going to kill. Oh, he delivers. I mean, even if it's just, you know, ranting. <laughs> but he's so entertaining. We missed out on a comic named Jack Carter. Yes, you did, unfortunately. Le- yeah, go on. Yeah, a legendary comic who'd, you know, been a Vegas comic and a, and a comic with a TV career going back to the 50s. And uh, you'd see him. You'd recognize him. Your, your listeners would recognize him if they don't know the name. If they just Googled him, they'd recognize him instantly. Yeah, he pops and, up on, and, like, Sanford and Son and some of the great sitcoms from the 60s couple, and 70s. A million yep. things. Yep. And, and uh, your previous guest, Cliff, Cliff Nesteroff, who just did our show, by the way, had, had published these, uh, these wonderful posts on his blog called Shit Jack Carter Says. <laughs> and it no was doubt. just... Jack ranting about people he'd worked with, and you know he's angry at everybody. He's the angriest man in show business. And Gilbert, and I said, oh, "We got to get Jack Carter. We just we just got to let him vent, and just let him explode for an for an hour." And we booked him. We had him booked. Of course, he was in his nineties, and he passed away within a couple of weeks of us booking him. We never got to him. That's a shame, man. No, I I know that feeling. Uh, Joe Kubert, the great cartoonist. Oh, George. Yeah, he, you know, he had he had ag- agreed in principle of coming on Word Balloon and unfortunately passed away with like in a month before I had a That's chance too to bad. I remember his work. Yeah. Joe Kubert's Kub- cartoonist school. Exactly, man. And also, uh, you know, his uh, his partner, Norman Maurer, ended up uh, marrying uh, Mo Howard's daughter. I know you're a big Three Stooges fan. What a weird connection. You know, but I, I was, it was just just to just to put a, 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 a finishing touch on that previous thing. We 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 missed out on Jack, so we Gilbert and I looked at each other and said, "Well, how can we replicate that? How can we get that kind of a ho- rage and hostility where we don't have to really do anything except just kind of turn the mic on and then just sit back and watch?" And then we both, you know, we both, oh, Pat Cooper. <laughs> so we call Pat, who's eighty-seven. He says, "I'm retired. I'm not doing anything anymore." We begged him to come on. He actually—he was having knee surgery. Came out of the hospital, came right to our studio from his surgery. I mean, it was just—you know—we heard the episode "Plug and Play." 
Yeah, man. No, it was great. It was like, seriously, this grocery list of celebrities, and it's like Ed Sullivan. Panda's taking his shit is funnier than Ed Sullivan. That's it. That's it, yeah. <laughs> we we just, you know, what what the show is, John, is we're, we're trying to tell the story of show business through memories and through through anecdotes with, who's, you know, whoever is left. Understood. Yeah. And, a, and so many people are gone. I mean, so many, I mean, you know, the, the Buddy Hackett's and the Red Buttons and the Phil Silvers and the Gleason's and all of these people are gone. And we're trying to find whoever is left that worked with them and has memories of them. So we're we're trying to kind of create this mosaic of uh, of of stories. You know, p- p- put the history together um, because these these when these guys are gone, when Larry Storch and and Pat Cooper and and uh, we had Ken Berry and we had uh, uh, Marty Stern. Allen, who's ninety five. Marty Allen, yeah, man, and Bruce Stern. My God, that was fantastic. Bruce Stern, and that was the- another treat. Yeah, man. I mean, because that guy can honestly say, well, when I worked with Betty Davis and I worked with Hitchcock, I mean, like yeah. you said, how many of those people are left? Not many. Not not many at all. You'd have to go to the last couple of Hitchcock films to find anybody who, you know, the films from the 70s. Yeah, man. To find anybody who still remember. We have had five guests on the show who work with Buster Keaton. Yeah. So that's, and, 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 and a couple were that work with Chaplin. We were trying to book an actor named William Shallert. Sure. Who, uh, yeah, was best known to audiences probably as the dad on the Patty Duke show. Absolutely, but did but did a million things. He was in the original Trek. He was in the original Twilight Zone. The, yep. the famous episode where Billy Moomy wishes people into the cornfield, and he worked with Chaplin. And we're just and but as I was starting to say, when these guys are gone, that's pretty much it. There's there's no direct link to 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 silent films to Chaplin to Keaton to Laurel and Hardy to any of those people. So we're we're trying to uh, not. You know, not bring it back, but but just kind of keep it alive in a way. Well, and like you say, get the get the story on record before these guys pass and women, and it and it goes into the ether. I mean, a guy that yeah. I suggested to you on Twitter, I don't know how how plausible it might be because I know the guy's in his mid nineties. Nehemiah Persov. Oh, Nehemiah Persov. Yeah. Yep, he's on our list. I wish to tell you, boy, we have to. You know what's funny? It's just it's there's so many people to get to. And, and and I have these these flowcharts in my apartment. I have these lists of people. Like we did, we call this guy, you know. And it's a well, oh, Dara Gilbert's wife helps me book the show. Okay, and she'll sure. call me back and she'll say, "Talk to so and so, not lucid anymore." Or we'll talk to their kids and they'll they'll say, "Well, dad is in and out. You know, he sure. he, he has some good days and he has some bad days." And we have little markings next to their names. And it's so uh, personally defeating when you call somebody and, and they're not up for an interview or they're not lucid anymore, or even when they pass. I mean, it's, it's absurd to say I don't know these people personally, but I've started taking their their passings personally. You know, each time somebody dies, uh, I think, boy, oh, boy, we just we, that would have been wonderful. I, I completely relate, man. 30 years ago, God, longer than that now that I think about it, uh, I guess it was the early 80s. I was still in high school, and much like Tom Bergeron, I sought out the Stooges, or whoever was left. I got in touch with Edward Burns, who directed a lot of the Shemp uh, shorts, okay. and, and he, he did a lovely interview with me when I was like 17 years old. And That's a nice story. Yeah, we, I could, you know, well, and again, I'm telling you this because I know you'd appreciate some of the Stooge stuff. And Norman Maurer, I, you know, I was going to say, Joe Kubert's partner was very gracious and spoke to me. I had no idea about his cartooning them. I only knew him as Moe's son-in-law and also the manager of the Stooges from like 58 till they pretty much retired in the early 70s. 
Isn't but, that funny? But the guy who turned me down was Jules White, and I was shot. But I did talk to him on the phone, and I was like, "No, absolutely Good not. I have nothing Lord. to say." But yeah, how I've, old was Jules White when you got a hold of him? And bless, bless your heart for digging <laughs> these guys up. <laughs> well, it was nineteen. <laughs> You're just a labor of love. Like I see, I've met a fellow traveler here. Well, that's why, man. Seriously, when I started hearing your guys' uh, podcast, that's that's why I'm like, I got to try and talk to these guys because you know I've I've been kind of you know doing stuff in the in the same area here. That was back in 1982 or 83. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Jules long, White. Long time ago. I can't find the cassettes of uh, some of these. I did talk to Joe Besser, and he was very happy to speak. He's like, you know, the Stooges, that was such a blip in my career. You know, I did a lot of big things. I worked with Abbott and Costello. I worked with, I was on a lot of TV beyond doing any shorts with the Stooges. I'm like, yeah, I know, man. <laughs> yeah, he's in uh, <laughs> He's in a he's in a movie with a guest we just had on the show. We haven't put it up yet, but Peter Marshall, the old host of Hollywood Squares, sure. is not is ninety. Wow! And and sharp as a tack, and full of stories, and and it's just a, a steel trap of a memory. And he he was half of a comedy duo called Noonan and Marshall, which nobody remembers. People only know him as a game show host. Sure. And he had a comedy duo. He had a comedy act in the fifties. They made two forgotten movies, and Joe Besser. Is in the first Joe Besser and Julie Newmar, who we had on the show, uh, yes, are in yeah. the first movie called The Rookie. So this gets this stuff gets really obscure when you drill down. But uh, of course, Gilbert would have you know would have had an out of body experience if he got to talk to Joe Besser. So I have no doubt. And bless so- your bless your heart for having uh, for, for going there. <laughs> I, I, I I'll 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 seize this moment to tell you that I was at Joe Dorita's uh, service. I wanted to ask about that. Go on. Yeah, man. The yeah. The, the final third stooge. Who... I brought that up on a on a show. I think with Steve Cox. <laughs> uh, that was weird. I was living in L.A. and a you know in a and a pretty, you know, broke. Sure. I'd gone out there to write comedy and, and, and work with Scarce, and I was living in a, in a, in a shithole apartment and hanging by my thumbs. <laughs> and a friend of mine, and you'll appreciate this, uh, a guy named Mark Newgarden, who's an underground cartoonist. Cool. Um, probably most well-known for being one of the creators of, of Top's old Garbage Pail Kids. Absolutely. Sure, man. I was going to ask about your work at Tops. Go on, please. He picks up the phone. He calls me. I'm living. I feel like one of these miserable, hot days in the Valley. I don't know if you ever spent time in L.A. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it's just, just, just kind of like one of these post-apocalyptic days where it's 1,000 degrees and you're dying and you're, you know, I'm living in my apartment eating ramen noodles three times a day. Sure. And the phone rings, and he says, we got to go to Joe Dorita's Joe Dur- Joe services in North Hollywood. we got to go. And he didn't drive. He was a New Yorker. I, I was the one with the car. And I didn't have that much of an emotional connection to the Stooges, not like Gilbert okay. and yourself, but certainly <laughs> certainly even less of an emotional connection to Curly Joe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I wind up getting the car and my, drive my beat-up Volvo, and I pick him up, and we go over there. And it's the saddest thing in the world. There's maybe seven people there. Ah. Uh. And I remember there were three guys in the back, in sitting in the back row, not talking to anybody in Three Stooges shirts. <laughs> and I thought, no one, no one would believe this. <laughs> it was so strange. It was like something out of Sunset Boulevard, the, but, but but not that clever. You, you should collaborate with your friend Drew Friedman and have him like draw it because I could just see this very pathetic, you know, comic panel. Of- well, I called Drew. Drew, Drew, and Mark are old friends. We all went to. School of Visual Arts together in the 80s. Cool. And we called Drew uh, and said, we, we went to Joe Dorita's funeral today, and he couldn't believe it. And I got a mask card, which I had to have, and I, this sounds real morbid. I gave the mask card to my friend Tom Leopold, who's a comedy writer. 
Yeah, I remember uh, you saying this on the on the podcast. That's really yeah, nice, man. Tom, Tom was one of our guests. Tom is a, Tom is a comedy writer from uh, a guy who started out with Chris Guest and Michael McKean, and then he cool. wrote for Seinfeld and Cheers and a million things. I gave him this mass card from Joe Dorita's funeral, and it was like I gave him the original Maltese Falcon prop. I mean, he couldn't have been. He said, "This is my this is my new prized possession," and he just he just he was over the moon to have this. Little plastic laminated mask card from Joe Dorita's wake. So that was a surreal moment. That, that, that may be my only, my only connection to a stooge. And of course, it was in death. Well, but it's. I mean, that's Started the kind to bring of, the room down. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we're laughing so clearly. I, I think yeah. people are like shocked, and and I think you know. Again, my audience appreciates this kind of conversation. I was going to say, I remember going to Eddie Brandt's uh, Hollywood in North mm-hmm. Hollywood and finding some great eight by tens of the Stooges that had the Columbia Pictures stamp on the back. Oh, that's great! And yeah, exactly. That's the kind of like close, the closest like cool memorabilia I could find. Uh, I think the the mask card from from Curly Joe's funeral. That's fantastic, man. There's a shade just. To- plug here there's a uh, the, the episode that we did with the writer Steve Cox who's a uh, who's a Stooges authority and wrote a, wrote a book or two uh-huh. about the Stooges if you if you go to our our interview on the amazing colossal podcast with Steve Cox there's a there's a wonderfully charming Joe Besser story on there <laughs> absolutely but and no I want you to promote and also are, are you on which network are you on are you on sideshow or how we're with sideshow network Yes, and uh, we haven't done the Howl thing yet. I guess we'll get to it at some point. We're uh, we're available on iTunes and SoundCloud. Excellent. And you can also get the show through Gilbert's website, GilbertGottfried.com, and our website, which is called GilbertPodcast.com. Fantastic. Now, what's your your day job? You were you do you still write for the View? Are you? Are you I have about sixty two day jobs, John. Atta boy. <laughs> uh, well, you know, when you when you spend so many years in the business not working, and then you reach that kind of tipping point where the work starts to come, which I'm happy to say it started to come about 15 years in, you, you, you come from that hunger mentality, that kind of Depression-era mentality, you know, like where your grandparents who lived through the Depression are always carrying fruit around or turning all the lights off <laughs> to save money. I, I have trouble saying no to work. So, so I take on. I'm doing a. I'm doing an award show um, in a couple of weeks with the uh, uh, the comic Michael Ian Black. Cool. And um, yeah, I write. I, I by day I work at the View. I'm a staff writer. It's an. It's a very very odd job because it's not a comedy show, and it's become even less of a comedy show since we've been taken over by the news division. Interesting. Okay. Are you prepping? Uh, I, I, are you prep, Are you prepping for segments and stuff? And like. No. Really, I give I give kind of quips and one-liners and little bits and things to the to the hosts, sure. To jo- to Joy and Whoopi primarily, but I'll I'll you know I'll give a joke to anybody that wants one. More than anything else, I've started working with um, guest stars. So I, I did a little bit with Morgan Freeman. I did a bit with Nathan Lane the other day. Um, I did something with Bob Saget and Coulier. A couple of weeks ago, and and you know little teases, little little backstage bits of comedy. Um, Martin Short came on and did a bit that that I did with Joy a while back. You know, it's it's a it's a very odd job because uh, most of what I write and most of what I generate is not used. Um, I'm kind of in, in case in com- in case of humor, 
you know, break glass. <laughs> I get it. What? In case humor breaks out. Yeah, I'm kind of a, I'm kind of a weird insurance plan um, in case somebody funny is on the show or they they want to do. We do these things cold cold opens at the top of the show. Sure. You know, we had Doctor Phil on the show, and I did a little bit where Doctor Phil was was on Joy's couch and. We did one with Lindsey Graham, which was very bizarre. God, I can't imagine trying to write for Lindsey Graham. It very yeah. challenging, indeed. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, and that—that's you know, I, it's it's an interesting job because because it's live television every day, and you come in and you don't know what they're going to throw at you. You know, oh, uh, Brett Michaels is here, or or uh, who's the guy that took over for David Lee Roth and Van Halen? Oh, Sammy Hagar. Sammy Hagar was on promoting a cookbook. It's like Sammy Hagar wants you to write something funny <laughs> for him for this, you know. And and so I go down and introduce myself. Hi, Sammy. I'm the comedy writer. Oh, oh great, man. I want to do this thing. And the next day, I'm you know, it's it's uh, Ben Carson. You know, Doctor Carson would like a line here. <laughs> so it's. You know he needed you. He needed you on the campaign trail, man. Jesus. Yeah, yeah. It's oh a very God. strange job. It's it's. A, I I don't know how to describe it. I, I I said today I may be the the first person in the history of the entertainment or the history of of television, the the first comedy writer that's ever written for a show that's run by a news department. Probably, although you know I know Gary Marshall would talk about when he would write for Jack Parr in the Tonight Show days, and you know that was the thing, like you said. He he really just had to be there and like feed Parr jokes, and it was always Parr's discretion or not whether he was going to use them or not. Yeah, there's a lot of that. There's a lot of that. We did an open with the Muppets and Whoopi. We had, um, <laughs> I think we had Miss Piggy and Whoopi, and then they said, uh, "Well, you know, we have Miss Piggy here. We want to use her, so come up with something." <laughs> yeah, that's even harder, man. I mean, it's one thing to kind of, you know, in the case of Marshall and Jack Parr, to get Jack's voice, but good Christ, like you said, to go from Miss Piggy to Ben Carson to Lindsey Graham. That's a hell well, of a I'm challenge. Kind of a, by necessity, I, I sort of became a chameleon. I, I, I became a guy that got known for writing for a lot of different people. You know, it's a strange business. I mean, you know show business. You, you start out with one thing in mind that you're going to be, and, and you get you get detoured, and it, that doesn't work out. And you say, okay, I'll go over here. Yep. You know, my grand plan all these years ago in, in the 80s, when I got my first agent in the late 80s, early 90s, I thought, well, I'll just, I'll just get a job on a Letterman show. You know, what the hell did I know? But, you know, there's politics, and there's cliques, oh, yeah. and there's the people they went to college with, and there's, there's you know, it's a lot of it is relationship-based, and, and probably I wasn't even that good when it took me probably 10, 15 years to, to really master the thing or to learn how to be funny on command and consistently funny. And uh, what happened is I started ghostwriting for comedians. That's actually how I met Gilbert. I was going to ask. I wrote for a show called Caroline's Comedy Hour, which was one of those quickie stand-up shows they sure. used to do in the 90s that were cheap to produce. Mm -hmm. And I, I met, I wrote, and I wrote intros for Jeannie Garofalo and Mario Cantone and, and um, whoever, whoever was on the show at that time. Lots of comics. And that's how I met Joy, actually, and that led to working for her. And that's how I met Gilbert, and that's what led to the podcast. But I, I, for the, for better or worse, I became known as a guy that could write for anybody in anybody's voice. A couple of weeks ago, I did a thing for Wanda Sykes, and then I did a thing for Louis Black, and then I did a thing for Sarah Silverman. And it's kind of like you're going back and forth between these voices, so you sort of have to have an ear for their style, their rhythms, their way of telling a joke, a joke they would do versus a joke they'd never do. Absolutely. And that's that kind of became my specialty. I kind of became a ghostwriter for comics, for talk shows. I used to write for comics, and when they would go on Howard, comics would sit in on the news. I don't know if they still do that at Howard. 
and they'd call me the night before and say, well, you know, do you have anything for this? Do you have anything for that? And then I started doing what they call panel on talk shows. I started doing a lot of that. That led to award shows. I started writing for Roast, Friars Roast, then Comedy Central Roast. And then I started to make a living kind of being, a, um, you know, a joke smith, if, if you will. Yeah, but that's um, that's incredibly valuable, that kind of talent to be able to write for, for various people like that. That's wonderful, man. Yeah, and it's it's I I love it, you know, because uh, you you don't do the same thing every day, and the, the award shows are fun because they come and you meet the person. I, I wrote an award show for George Takei a couple <laughs> of years ago, and, cool. and and Molly Shannon and and uh, and Colin Quinn, and you know, basically whatever people throw at me, it's fun because. You go, you meet the person, you're only working with them a week or two. You don't get bored, they don't get bored, you don't get sick of each other. You you, you hit the ground running, you do the thing, and then it's over. And it, it's kind of good for people with short attention spans like mine. <laughs> I know, um, it's funny, right before Oscar season, you know, there's a million award shows. It's just like the Kentucky Derby. There's all these little races that lead up to the big, you know, payoff of the Oscars. And sure. it, uh, Michael Strahan was the host of, I want to say either the SAG Awards or the... Uh, or the Directors uh, Guild Awards. But, yeah, I, I, they needed you that night. i got to be oh, aren't you kind? <laughs> I did the Daytime Emmys last year, and I used to write the TV Land Awards. Oh, sure. Very cool. And I used to write a thing called the Mark Twain Prize. Yeah, very well, who did you do? on PBS. Wow, so yeah, absolutely. So did you write for, like, the various uh, people that would get up and... Yeah, we're from Martin minutes. Short and Maya Rudolph and, and who else? Uh, Rashida Jones. Oh, cool. Yeah. They would basically have a roster of people that were going to pay tribute to Carol Burnett or Ellen DeGeneres, whoever it was, and then they'd have two or three writers come in, and they'd assign writers to people. That's really cool. And, uh, and, and, and I loved it. You know, you, you go in. It's fun. You blow into town. They put you up in a hotel. You go. You meet the celebrities. You hope you click. What do you want to do? What do you want to say? How do you want to do this? And you... you you brainstorm with them for a couple of days until you have what you need, and and uh, you know it's it's fun. Uh, that that is the fun thing about the view is that every day you know it's live, sure. so you're flying by the seat of your pants, and every day it's somebody new. I wrote something for Christopher Walken the other day that he didn't want to touch, <laughs> so that was fun. <laughs> The producer came to me and said, "Okay, uh, uh, real quick, give us something for Christopher Walken." And uh, the View's coming up on its 20th uh, year, so wow. they want the celebrities to, to do a little bit backstage and say, Wow, View, it's been 20 years, I can't believe and, you know, And they want each one to sound different. Mm -hmm. wow. So I didn't, I didn't even know I was going to be doing this. And it was like, Christopher Walken's downstairs, you have 10 minutes. <laughs> and I banged out two things on two cards, and I thought, he's never going to do these. And, of course, he, he didn't. <laughs> and I thought the same about Morgan Freeman the previous week, and he did them. So you never know. Some of them are playful, and they want to go, and they want to do it, and, and, and others don't. And, you know, I don't take it personally. We were talking before we started recording that you have a history at Tops, And uh, did you, you, you worked in the trading card business. I'll let you go further into what you did. Well, those were the hanging by my thumbs days that I described earlier. You know, and again, started out, got an agent. I was lucky enough to get an agent through just fluky relationships and, uh, and you know, thought, hey, I'm a made man. This is great. You know, I'm, 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 I'm 25 and, and, and it's all going to work out and I'm going to get on a show. And, you know, it doesn't work that way. And you wind up taking odd jobs in the business. You, you, you wind up kind of doing what's offered. Um, 
And one of the things I grew up with trading cards. I grew up with wacky packs and sure. and things like that from from the seventies. And uh, some buddies of mine, Drew Friedman, who you just mentioned, and Mark Newgarden, uh, we went to SVA together, and they were doing uh, non-sports cards, humor cards at Tops, and they were looking for gag writers. So you would go in. Tops was was in Brooklyn in those days in an old factory. Okay. That was that was really lost in time. I mean, we're talking about lunch ladies and hairnets and asbestos in the walls. <laughs> I mean, it was it was like a munitions factory. I mean, they 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 might as well have been been making a bombs, you know, as well as trading cards. Then and now they're legit. Now they're on Whitehall Street in the Wall Street district. So now they're wow. Yeah, exactly. Now, but this was this was really like going and writing gags in a silent movie house. I mean, it was just so trapped in the in the nineteen. 40s or 50, probably late 40s. I don't know how long they'd been there. And the place smelled of bubble gum. I mean, it's just fascinating. <laughs> and you'd go for a day and you'd get a, you'd get a day rate. I was a kid. I was maybe 26, 27. You'd get a day rate and, uh, and you'd write gags. You'd write the backs of cards. I remember Bazooka Joe comics was the first thing I ever got paid to do. Hilarious. As a, as a, as a, you know, I guess a humorist, for lack of a better term. <laughs> Tough. Game, and then man. that led to wacky packs and garbage pail kids and a bunch of top series that never saw the light of day. That the next time you have Drew on, you'll have to ask him about. It. Ask him about ugly Americans. Oh, I will. That's a good question. Absolutely, man. And uh, and wretched wrestlers and uh, <laughs> God, we did we did so many things. And they and they would have so many bad ideas. Not not Mark, but the brass would come in and say, uh, uh, "How about cards spoofing uh, the W." WWE, and we'd say, well, the WWE's already a put-on. Yeah, really. <laughs> you know, it's kind of the treachery of doing a spoof of a spoof. Absolutely, man. Too crazy. I want to. I wanted to recommend, if you guys haven't seen it, a movie that, uh, an old movie that I was fascinated by called Calloway Went That Away. Do you know Oh, that yeah, movie? I know that movie. a boy, that's fantastic. Fred McMurray movie. Because I love it, being in the, the nerd culture, what an interesting examination of the Hopalong Cassidy craze. Uh, yeah, and and that's what I love about it. And I haven't had the opportunity to talk about it on my show yet, so this is our chance. And it, not a perfect movie. I mean, it's it's an okay comedy. But what's fun about it is, like I said, yeah, it's this parody of the Cassidy craze. And it's interesting to compare that to the nerd culture of today and the exploitation of some of these characters through TV and movies and everything. So I I, I think there's a there's a there's a through line from Callaway went that away to things unfortunate like Batman and Superman and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure this is the only place in the world where this conversation is taking place right now. And those things have just been linked. But off the subject, if you like Fred McMurray, a little-known comedy that he made in the 40s called Murder, he says. Ooh, I'll check that out. Go which on. Which turns up on Turner Classic Movies. We asked Robert Osborne about it when we had him on the show, and it really holds up. It's a very silly screwball comedy that really holds up. That's awesome, man. Well, Jesus, but I, but I, but I, 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 you know, I went up at the at the bubble gum, bubble gum factory, just trying to make a buck, just trying to figure out what I was, <laughs> what I was going to be, how I was going to do this, and writing for kids. That led to writing for kids and um, television. I wound up writing cartoons, and I wound up writing for the Muppets, and it's a, it becomes this long, strange trip. But like I said, it's it's veering. It always veers off from where you originally wanted to go. I can appreciate that, man. But no, I, I think you're at a good place, and I'm glad you guys are having this initial success with the podcast. How many years now have you been doing it? We are coming up. I think we just passed our second year, and this 
Wednesday night we're going to record our 100th episode. Congratulations. That's fantastic. Thank you, John. I, I, I pre- I, and I appreciate the support. Hey, man, no lie. Funny show. I'm, I'm happy to talk about it and spread the word. And, uh, you know, no, I, I really I wish you guys uh, all the success because it's a very unique show, as you say. And I think you both bring a lot to the table. I think people are impressed uh, going beyond Gilbert's uh, onstage persona to see what kind of, you know, fun he has and, and this real passion for this old showbiz stuff. And I do. I think it's fascinating. I mean, like you said, when you had Cliff Nestor off on or when you have Drew on and some of your other comedy writer friends and you guys swap stories about some of this backstage showbiz stuff, I think it's interesting and hilarious. Well, thank you. I mean, the show, uh, when, when Gilbert and I set out to do this, and first of all, Gilbert was a comic that I, that I idolized. So, uh, you know, th- th- never thought in a million years I would be doing a show with him. When when I was starting out and I would go to Caroline's comedy club and I would sit in clubs till till one o'clock in the morning, he was a treat to see. They they called him the comics comic back then for a reason. Other comics would stick around to watch him, and his shows were special. And I was such a fan that that uh, you know, the, the, to to get to do something like this with somebody that I admired so much is an extra kick. People know his, they know him from movies and they know him from Howard, but they never. Very few people knew that he was a showbiz historian, in a way. Sure. So when this idea was broached, I, I, I looked at the landscape of podcasts, and I said, well, let's not do another show like every comic is, is doing. You know, this, they, they, they started to, not to put them down at all, I, I listened to a lot of them, but it was a lot of comics going on other comics' podcasts, sure. talking, about, talking about the life in comedy. Yeah. And I said, let's do something really weird and offbeat, like a late-night diner conversation or like the kind of conversation you see in Broadway Danny Rose. Absolutely. I love that opening scene. Yeah, no let's, just, let's, let's kind of swim in this weird old showbiz and these things that we care about. And, and you know, well, the show will be part history and part turn to classic movies and, and you know, part Comic-Con. And, and, um, and, and that's, 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 that's why we, we try to get an Adam West or a Billy Moomy or, 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 or people like that that, that resonate with those audiences. Absolutely. No, you're hitting a lot of circles of different interests, but again, it's all backstage showbiz. And also, again, you guys can speak from your own experiences and, and throw down with the guests and everything, and it always makes for a good conversation. We try. We try. I mean, and, and like I said, it, it's, it's, it's started out as a silly thing and a labor of love and something that we were doing mostly to amuse ourselves. And last week I met with a producer who said, you guys should reach out to the Library of Congress and see if they have any interest in this, because these, are, these may be the last interviews that some of these people ever do. You know, that's a great idea. That's and maybe it has historical value. So that that was news to me. What a validation for what you're doing. That's fantastic, man. That's excellent. Thank you, John. I mean, we're like I said, we're 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 trying to have fun, uh, and, and we're you know, it's it's sure. it's been a thrill for me, a guy who's banged around the business uh, uh, for for so long to 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 meet so many heroes and 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 to get to do a show with uh, with as I said, an original comedy hero in Gilbert. No, man, it's, I, I agree, and I, and I can appreciate that. That's kind of a Forrest Gump kind of point of view of the entertainment world. And, uh, you know, I worked at Sports Talk for uh, 15 years and, and had the same kind of feeling talking to some of the old athletes in that. So, uh, I, like I said, I can certainly appreciate where uh, the, the fun is of doing a show like this. And, again, it's an entertaining show. So I'm going to let you go because it's Friday night, and I know you guys have plans. 
But, Thank uh, you. But, I appreciate it. Yeah, well, I'm just going to do I'm, I'm just editing another episode. Oh, there, hey, welcome to my Friday night. I can appreciate that. Is that what that. you do when you get home? You just work. <laughs> you bring the show home with you? Oh, yeah. Well, you know, I got a full-time job, too, man. I mean, it's, you know, you got to you gotta pay the bills while you're doing the stuff for the passion projects. Absolutely. So. Well, it's nice to meet another, uh, another, another, like I said, a fellow traveler and a person who has uh, a passion for this stuff, as, as we do. Likewise, Frank. And, and when you're in Thank New York, you. I hope you'll look us up. It would be my pleasure, and and likewise, in terms of, I'll be there for Comic Con in October. Actually, I'll probably be there. Oh, we well, might, we, well, then I we were asked to do Super Week last year for for Comic Con, mm-hmm. and we'll ho- hopefully they'll ask us again. Yeah, you know, I missed it last year, um, but uh, no, I, I do intend, and actually the last two years, but no, I definitely intend to go this year. So yeah, and I was going to say the same thing. If you come to Chicago, please let me know, and I'd love to buy a buy a dinner or a drink and. Uh, and then swap some uh, amazing uh, colossal stories with uh, Frank Santo Padre. Congrats, you kind. Well, we appreciate it, John, and it's uh, it's nice of you to reach out. And, and thanks for being such a supporter of the show. Absolutely, Matt. Congratulations, and you have a good night. And thanks and thanks for talking today. Thanks. It was my pleasure. Thanks. Thanks for inviting me on. That was great, and I really uh, hope that I will be providing you an update from New York on uh, a new encounter with Frank Santo Padre. A lot of fun, and I hope uh, Frank will come back. I hope you'll forgive the uh, sound difference on this intro. Uh, the reason why it's like this is I'm on the road and uh, wanted to make sure that I got this episode out and uh, get the correct information, but uh, there's just uh, the difference as far as the introduction goes. Everything else sounds beautiful on the episode, I promise. Now it's time to uh, welcome back an old uh, Word Balloon friend, and that's Jesse Blaze Snyder. Very excited about uh, his current project, Blacklight District, where he combines comics and music in a very unique way. Uh, I've got a video of uh, one of his songs. I'm about to play you this song. It's called Symptoms, and you can see it at wordballoon.com. You can see it at the Blacklight District website as well, and that is blacklightdistrict.co. So uh, two videos, uh, Symptoms and Green, are uh, there at his website. Symptoms is at wordballoon.com, and you're about to hear the song now. From uh, Jesse Blaze Snyder. I feel like Casey Kasem. From Jesse Blaze Snyder, the latest hit, it's called Symptoms.
So that's Symptoms from Jesse Blaze Snyder. We're going to talk about it and uh, the other comics and songs coming from Blacklight District. A lot of uh, great artists are involved in the project, and uh, it sounds like uh, fun. Jesse and I recorded this interview about two months ago, but uh, a lot of the information still holds up. He was just kind of waiting for the right time to uh, debut the website and the videos and now everything is up and running at uh, blacklightdistrict.co. So let's talk to Jesse Blaze Snyder now on Word Balloon. Jesse Blaze Snyder, he's back. Welcome back to Word Balloon. It's good to talk to you, man. It's great to talk to you, John. I love you, man. It's been a minute. Right back at you. Yeah, it has. It's been it's been a bit. And uh, I know you've been incredibly busy uh, producing children. <laughs> populating the world. <laughs> I have been. I have been incredibly busy producing tons of things but i have not been releasing anything although just recently i put out some music so that felt good that's excellent man and um this black light district's uh project six issues is ambitious and i think you succeed because it really is this multimedia experience and i am very curious in terms of what came first and the whole general idea uh, of of what we're experiencing both visually and audibly. So, well, tell me the tell me the genesis of this idea. The music came first, uh, of course. I I um I heard a production that my producer and co writer Will Knox had done of a song uh, that I had written, and it blew me away. And I was looking for like a project to throw myself into because I, at the time I didn't know what to do with myself as a solo artist. So I was looking for something like cool. And when I heard Will's production, I just said, put me in the studio with him for two weeks and I'll do something awesome. So, um, so we reached out and he was really down to do it. And Will's like this polite Londoner singer songwriter Will Knox, very very nice and polite. Hello, how is it going, Will Knox? Yes, very good. Um, and you know, and I'm obnoxious, and uh, and uh, so it, he we're a great blend because like he's like he's really. I kind of believe that in order to write a real like a big hit song, you kind of have to be willing to be kitschy. Like on any level, like uh, as to write, to be a good director, be a good writer, you know, you got to make a comic book that to some people is going to seem weird or stupid you, you, or silly. You have to be willing to put yourself out there like that. Like a Matthew Vaughn does with his movies, for example. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, uh, and I think, um, you know, that's like, that's when you know you're doing like, new stuff like because people are reacting like that as long as the other group of people are going this is awesome yeah sure because there's some amount of people in the population who are agree with you and yes the time has come let's make this statement like let's do this thing so um anyway uh, will has a has trouble being kitschy um you know he's a singer songwriter and so many singer songwriters their struggle is being kitschy which is why a lot of them struggle to be like really famous because you know they won't write the song that really pierced through because it's a little kitsch and it you know singer songwriters try to be kind of more intellectual generally speaking even though i would call myself a singer songwriter and i'm not afraid of being kitschy anyway <laughs> me and me and will were a match made in heaven though because i'm probably a little too kitschy you know my dad's D. Snyder, Twisted Sister. I was raised on loud makeup and loud performance and everything. So sure. my my polite Londoner, I just I I saw him as just the perfect 
uh, balance for me. And, um, and I really just, uh, after I set up sort of the parameters for what Blacklight District would be, I kind of leaned into him as far as final decision making would go. Um, you know, with few exceptions here, there, uh, but generally would kowtow to what he thought, because basically I was like, if I can make this, you know, audiophile singer songwriter agree with every melody choice that I have in these songs, then I'll really be able to make something that's really transcendent and really unlike some of the things I've been able to make in the past, because I'm a little too kitsch for that type of listener. Um, and also I really wanted to make something intelligent and something that had some meaning. Um, it, it ended up becoming a lot more meaningful than I even uh, meant to. But the thing that I love about comic books is that the stakes are the end of the world. Um, you know, whether it's the hero saving, you know, the world from being destroyed or saving the universe from being destroyed, or it's just some individual's world is almost destroyed. But thanks to this individual or whatever else, you know, somebody comes and saves them. The, the reality of emotion is that whenever we feel anything, it kind of feels like the end of the world. And that's, I think, what really draws me to comics, you know, uh, that sense of scale. And I thought there had to be some way to bring that same kind of idea to music, to songwriting. And it ended up being just this amazing learning experience because I learned that as artists, we shortchange ourselves emotionally. And by that, I mean... I don't want to say that I've suffered terribly and the pain was the worst pain of all time in a song because I'm conscious of the fact that there's some person in, you know, Africa suffering way, 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 way worse than I ever will. So I don't want to say that terrible thing because I feel like it's not true. It's disingenuine. But really, the most genuine thing I can say is that I'm suffering and that I'm in pain. And because everybody's freaking suffering and everybody's in pain. And it's, it's all our own individual experience that we are measuring anything off of. And for everybody around us to be constantly worried about what scale we're on as far as what we've suffered through. Hey, look, just like let us fucking – deal with it on the level that we need to deal with it. And I, and also artistically, you need to be able to always say that the worst possible thing has happened to you because that's honest. That is how you really feel. And that's how everybody feels, whether they admit to it or not. And I was stopping myself from making those sort of statements in my songwriting prior to Blacklight District. Okay. Because I think you're hitting a lot of different classes. There are working class songs in these, or, or stories in these songs and 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 vignettes. So I don't think you have to worry about that once people do read them. And I think there is uh, wry social commentary that people will get immediately on on right away from the first story symptoms uh, to you know some amazing sci-fi uh, that's coming up. I don't I don't want to tease too much. I'll let you di- you know dictate what we talk about today um these are 
because and I'm interested as from a digital package how this is going to be released. They're going to be released individually. Well, um, the immediate release that um, that uh, that we have is they're going to be basically like an online art installation. Um, so we're going to have a website set up that has deep, slowly debuts um, the six issues, which are you know these lyric comic books that correspond with these six songs. Um, right. And um, you know, and each one has a great cool all-star team or all-star individual um doing a killer you know a killer interpretation of the song um when we sat down to do them you know the uh all we did was watch genre movies essentially superhero movies okay. and the daily show so that comes through go on <laughs> so what we ended up Writing was essentially these three uh, social commentaries and then sort of inner, um, you know, inner psychology commentary on the state of America and where we are, you know, as a society and as individuals. And, um, you know, and the, basically the three things we came away with kind of uh, f- through the songs was that, you know, we're all – having trouble finding inner peace and are nervous that the people around us have figured it out and we haven't. And (laughs) it always feels that way. Absolutely. We're being held to the coals, uh, working too hard for very little to show for it. Um, which is what hammers about. Um, and well, I I would say, honestly, a lot of the, I mean, I also think, um, and now I'm going to scan to it. I want to say Phil Hester's story. Uh, Manhattan, and that's the final thing. And, and Manhattan, Manhattan is actually about something more insidious, and that is that the things that we are creating for the world are being corrupted by the powers that be, and um, and that's what Manhattan's about. It's funny. Manhattan was actually written about Oppenheimer specifically creating the atom bomb, um, you know, and that was where Manhattan came from. But I couldn't help but completely identify with it all of my frustrations about creating comic books for the big two. And, and it was just, you know, like it, it was, it's so funny how the parallels, cause it's all about this ending the world and saving the world kind of thing, which was about mm-hmm. Oppenheimer creating, you know, the bomb, you know, and him basically having to hand over this thing and how it was going to be used was not up to him. And that's the thing for all of us. You know, we, we're, most people are not the people making the decisions. They're the people who are building the stuff that other people are making decisions about. And um, the decision-making is terrible. <laughs> terrible <laughs> terrible decision-making. You know? So, you know, it's created a lot of problems for all of us, you know, emotionally. <laughs> and, um, oh, and I'm sorry, and Frozen is the, is the other emotional one. Uh, yes, amazing science fiction story. J.K. Woodward is the artist. Well, and on, uh, and Frozen takes story, you know, science fiction wise. Thank you. I, uh, J.K.'s is 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 my my favorite as far as how it goes with with the music. It, it has a couple moments that are really really stirring uh, in a way that uh, the other ones. I mean, they're all wonderful, but J.K.'s really just really gets you in a couple ways in its in its cinematic approach. They're all so darn good though. I was blown away by them all. But anyway, did you did you write the and real fast, did you write these songs with these stories in mind or did you hand the songs to the artists and then as you said, 
uh, Manhattan starting off more as an Oppenheimer story becomes kind of a comic book history story. Yeah, no, well, that that is pretty completely. Clear. Like uh, we, the, they were all like adjusted. So like Frozen in particular, like that's my third, uh, you know, sort of emotional inner commentary song, which is about feeling like um, you know life is moving on without you, which yes, I know that, is an, is a feeling that I've had a lot in my life and I, I know everybody can relate to and we use Captain America as a as a metaphor for the um, for the the song that was it was that the idea was who's who is that metaphor more apt for than Captain America who's literally frozen in a block of ice and his life is moving on without him literally but that's just how everybody feels and you get to write this song that's really really introspective way more so than most music because I, I get to be honest because I'm using Captain America as my like my my measurement of how sad I could be about it. But really, like all these songs are the most honest things that I've ever written. And yet J.K. takes the story and gives us a different sci-fi story that, again, frozen people can get what the analogy must mean for your standpoint, per- perhaps writing the song. Well, but then J.K. takes it, and, and because to me it didn't. If if anything, it also reminded me of a of a particular Twilight Zone that well, I really. Enjoyed. I I reached out to J.K. and um and I told him um. <laughs> I told him f Alex Ross. Um, J.K. is like he loves Alex Ross, so I and I was like, screw Alex Ross. I don't need Alex Ross. I need you. Um and um. And he knows that I that I'm I know Alex, and um, and that initially I was thinking about getting Alex. So he was a little intimidated, but he super rose to the occasion. Um, I think because Alex couldn't. I guess maybe I reached out. To, it was a long time ago now, so I guess maybe I reached out to Alex, and for some reason Alex couldn't do it. Yeah, it might have been uh, a bad time. I know he's got a lot going on yeah, right now as well. And um and I guess when I told I I reached out to JK and I, I just was like straight with him because he's a, an older friend of mine in comics. And I was like, look, I'd reached out to Al, you know Alex. I was like, but fuck him. You can do awesome. You know, like I don't mean it just to, to Alex, but Oh no, no, no. No, I get what you're saying. And also, yeah, you know, fine. You know And uh, and he was super, super got super motivated and he killed it. Yeah. And literally, like a couple <laughs> weeks later, I ran into a friend of his at a comic convention, and he told me that J.K. got super motivated because actually, J.K. wrote like a story. There's like a, a story that J.K. wrote that goes along with the whole thing. It's really good. J.K. misunderstood me that lyrics were going to fit the thing, and he actually wrote a story that went with it. The story's great, and apparently, writing the story for uh, for me while he did the thing made him um, kind of like fall in love with the medium again. He got all excited about. Oh, that's stuff. great! Yeah, so I was really excited to hear hear that, and um, yeah. and it's it's so good. I, I I have to say, like when I I envisioned this after the fact, like as soon as I finished it, I was just like. Wow, wouldn't it be cool to get some artists to just interpretate it, my art, you know, um, you know, with their art and just kind of intermingle, you know, whatever. And I ended up giving just some guide guidelines to um 
to the to the people a little bit just to keep um because i wanted it to have a certain sci-fi aesthetic and you know a, a sure, sure, aesthetic sure. so i didn't want people to be too like introspective and drawing everybody drawing boring shit you know i wanted to use the the unlimited budget of you know the the medium oh, yeah. but i yeah, want to be like this 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 and this but whatever you feel passionate about is what i would like you to do so generally everybody was kind of given a a, a short uh, i mean a a long leash to just kind of run around within the confines of just a, a loose idea um and like some lyrics you know so that they could literally they could sit with it and they could listen and they could you know get it going and it, like it's really obvious like with jk you know that he was listening as he was you know, painting and, and, you know, there's a few moves where, you know, lyrical moves where the, you come to the end of the lyric and then you go to the next side of the page to continue reading and the music changes just as you get to the other side of the page and it just like locks you into the comic in such a uh, atmospheric way. But the Frozen is not going to be out until, what is that? JK's won't be coming out until February, March, April, May, May. Yeah, it's the is it the it's the fourth story or the fifth? Story? Yeah, it's the fourth one. Okay, and I understand. And I, you know, again, you were kind enough to send me all six songs and stories. Um, they are, as you say, did you say you call them lyric comics, basically? Yeah, they're like lyric comics, the lyric music videos. Uh, yeah, you know, but like they're comic books. So the lyric comics oh, is yeah. like the simplest way to explain it, I guess. Yeah, it's well. No, it's they. They truly are. They're poetic. They. They. I mean, uh, they are your song lyrics set to music. I mean, well, and again, well, and again, originally it's the song, but then when you add the art, it really becomes this different thing. They are, from a print standpoint, only you know four or five pages. But again, like so, if someone buys this digitally and goes, are you setting up? Uh, Blacklight District as its own website? Well, it's going to be free online on the website. We're going to do a print version of it uh, eventually. Um, I've got my publisher worked out, but it's super early, so I'm not going to like say anything just in case okay. anything falls out. But I have, I had, I really kind of had my pick of everybody that I was interested in working with, um, and I got to like, you know, my my idol was the one who told me that. Yeah, we'll publish it. So, so, so wait. So, are these? But online at first, they're going to be free. Are they going to? Is it going to be? Because you sent me, for instance, a PDF mm-hmm. and also a link, a link to where your songs are, and um, and I don't want to reveal that until you know you you tell uh, consumers because uh, I don't know if they're locked down and you're only giving them to you know reviewers right now or whatever. Yeah. But are they? So are they going to get a? The uh, a digital comic that kind of has its own panel to panel progression, or is it going to be a PDF that they read along to this soundtrack? It'll be. Well, I tell you what, I there's two ways. There's two ways I might might do it. Um, but um, the, one, we're going to do a video version of each one of them. That's going to just have the song playing, and it's going to go through. Uh, cool. You know, take you through all of like the panels and everything. And uh, okay. And for all of them except for Manhattan, there's uh, splits. Manhattan was done like a legit old school comic, so like I can't um, take the captions and stuff off the page. Um, okay. But um, but the uh, the rest of them will be like a slightly interactive, uh, you know, kind of video version of the of the book. Um, originally, I was planning on putting the comic up. Um, 
along with like a player on the site um, that works uh, with it. Um, uh-huh. But depending on how the player works, if I don't like how the player works, um, I might um, I might just leave the covers for the books up on the website so you can go listen and see the cover images because all the cover images are meant to represent the whole song also. So it kind of gives another cool way to debut the uh, music, and then I can kind of slowly put everything out. Okay, so um, but you said that initially there will be videos. Yeah, so there'll be videos of the whole comic, but uh, on the website it might just be the cover, depending on. Sometimes these like players, like on these websites and stuff like that, that they'll set up. I just if they're not easy to use, and it makes the experience weird because you're listening to music. And like if, if you're like having to dilly dally, oh, I can't read it and I can't. It's very easy to get frustrating. Oh, frustrated, yeah. I find. So I just don't want anybody to have a frustrating experience um, with it. So if I can't get uh, a a uh, viewer on my web page that I like uh, how it works, I won't be doing that. OK, so but, but um, it'll be in the videos. You, OK, and the videos will be free. Yeah. OK, because that was the other thing, too, was. How you're distributing? Because again, it, they make sense being uh, the equivalent of four comic pages or three comic pages. But there are a ton of panels, and again, the pacing of the song dictates how your eye should be, and that's why a video does make sense. I think initially for for a lot of these things, because it is it's a full experience. But it's that um, you know, where, whereas a normal comic book, obviously, it's your eye and your in your brain telling you, okay, now I can go to the next panel. Yeah. In this case, because you are following along with the music and stuff like that, you don't want to get ahead of yourself in the story. Yeah, exactly. And and luckily, if you're when you're reading the lyrics as they're being sung to you, it's fine. You know, you're <laughs> you're following along. So yeah, I can appreciate all that. And that and also then I was wondering too, what kind of price point for you know basically a, a four minute experience, a three minute experience that again is incredibly artistically rich, and the the lyrics are powerful and the songs are great, and I really think. Uh, you and I'm sorry, what's Knox's first name? Will Knox. Will Knox. I think you guys, not knowing Will's body of work, I, I think there are uh, areas that you go in that I've never heard in your music before. Yeah, no, he brought me to a whole bunch of places that were, you know, a nice uh, new uh, new vibe for me. And it was it was just, it was great working with him. I love him. He, he's stayed at my house for two weeks and, um, you know, my, my wife loves him and my kids love him. So, uh, you know, and my stu- – the reason why it's called Blacklight District is because my home studio is called Blacklight District or rather my, my like – my room was always the Blacklight District, and um, and that and like this became you know the the cover that Chris Burnham did for us um, that'll be the cover for the published you know whatever published version we do okay um, that you know is meant to represent the Blacklight District that's that's what I'm talking about you know <laughs> my safe place where I can sure where man. I hang out and like if you're here all I have is you know the first song that we're putting out is called Symptoms and the inspiration for that one is I have a Blacklight poster of Tony Moore's zombie from The Walking Dead. And um, we were looking at this thing and um, and we came up with this concept of basically the zombie apocalypse being greed and politics. Yes. And, <laughs> and, 
And that, Good timing. Yeah. Gee, I wonder what presidential election might have inspired that kind yeah, of story. Exactly. I mean, so this is where all the things, everything came from, you know, but it's like just straight from posters on my wall. So like, I mean, literally like everything is from something that was in my room for the most part. I mean, what was uh, Hammer? You know, I've got a Thor statue on my desk where he's holding the hammer and, and, and Will was staring at it constantly. And he was like, hammer and he started building a track you know and i wrote this this hook you know from that you know for just but we would just start from there and then we would just build around like well what do we have to say about that and what what is it that we you know that you know but the influences were all just frustrations of the political system and the time that we're in and you know and these epic superhero things you know where it's the end of the fucking world and it is the friggin' end of the world because of all this stuff I understand, man. No, and and that's why I think a lot of these themes are universal and uh, hammer for it. Well, the interesting thing is, as you say, the ideas start with this is a Captain America idea or this is a Thor idea. But just as Frozen becomes a very different story in J.K. Woodward's hands, it's, you know, some similar themes, but it, it's it's not Captain America's story by any means. Same goes for Hammer. Same, hammer is really just this working class idea of. I am I am killing myself nine to five every day or whatever hours it is to get this done and it's just I, as you say I swing this hammer and it doesn't seem to matter and and I and it's my only choice is to keep swinging it and I keep doing it uh, you know John, kind of beating against the same wall I get it they are my stories <laughs> they are just my stories they they really, sure. they really are they they started from these places but because I was able to start there I was able to be honest. And it's the most honest stuff that I've ever, I've ever written. It's cool, man. No, they're great songs, and I mean that's the thing. They're an interesting experience, and I also am just trying to figure. I was trying to figure out too because um, at first I'm like, are these previews of a twenty of each thing being a twenty two page story or their own? I, I wondered at first if I'm like, wait a minute, maybe I'm not getting this. Maybe this is just an introduction to a new line of comics, and each of these are kind of a pilot preview of what's to come. But no, I also see, no, they're, they're individual. And again, they are, they are in the song and then it's like, okay, well, how do you, how do you monetize that? You know, to, I mean, get something for your effort and everything. And I'm glad that it's funny. I, I have absolutely no interest in making any money on it whatsoever. All I really want is just for the world to hear it. So I'm talking with the publishers. I was telling them, I said, I really want to keep the price down. They had mentioned 299 or 399. I'm hoping it'll be 299. Um, but I just want to do, uh, it might be 399 though, because I want it to look sharp. So I want to do a prestige format, like, you know, a little, uh, book it's because it's really it's a fucking art book it's a it's a really nice art book that oh yeah all my artists did so well you know jason pearson and phil hester and jk woodward and you know my new people look like a million bucks you know andy uh, i mean uh, uh tam uh, oh i'm fucking blanking out on uh, on names david witt and uh andrea tam um they did symptoms yeah yeah david witt did symptoms uh, andrea tam did hammer uh, okay, man, Hammer, both are amazing. David, I mean, uh, David did a great job on Symptoms, uh, a great looking zombie uh, story. And Hammer is uh, really, uh, you know, first of all, the cover is gorgeous. Who did the cover? Chris Burnham. And Chris. Oh, that's a beautiful. Wow, I didn't know that. And that's Burnham, a very different. And Burnham thumbnailed the, the, the last comic that David Witt, uh, like, finished. Um, Bizarro? Yeah, Bizarro. 
which is which is bizarro is a, so, a social issue one bizarro is that we are living in the bizarro world where everything is backwards and stupid <laughs> it's just true it's uh, right you know, oh moment, no i understand the moment that. you get sick you know you you will start looking into the friggin medical field and the moment you look into the medical field you realize that we are stupid 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 and how is it that we do not add in the things we put into our body as having anything to do with our overall health and they don't teach nutrition in medical schools so doctors don't friggin tell you how to be healthy and we eat like crap and we get ourselves sick it's you know and that is just one side of it Go look into politics and see how things are done there. Go look into every side of everything. It's all backwards. We are living in the bizarro world, and we need to completely change the direction of the way we do things. It is just fundamentally stupid on every level. I can appreciate that. And again, I think the the themes come across very clearly in the comics and the songs. And that's the thing. I think this – so – Again, how do you package this? Are they gonna? Uh, so is each song gonna be its own issue? No, no, no. It it'll be all the issues will be they're they're designed to be stacked on top of each other. So basically, so this would come out as a one shot. Yeah, so album they'll, slash. Uh, there'll be an inside. Uh, there'll be an inside cover that has the names of the of the tracks, and I think it says play at the bottom, and then um, yes, and then the first um, the first uh, you know uh, right page Sorry. is uh, the cover. For symptoms, and when you turn right. that, the symptoms comic starts on the first uh, page two three. You know the first double spread, and then right. on that turn page, you know we wanted there to be a turn page for the mini comics so that we could surprise you on the last page. So then, once you get to the last page, you'll immediately see the cover for the next upcoming song, and right. so it'll just be the six songs stacked on top of each other. We might end up doing like some some stuff with the backups, like you know if they want some stuff. Really, I'd rather do it like you know kind of limited and do a do a limited run of it. Like I'd like to do like a five thousand run and see if we can sell out. And then if we sell out, then do like a a, a cooler version that's got like a. Uh, you know, like a backup, like maybe put JK's full story version of his in it and like in some other cool little things, Easter eggs that we have, like that we're sitting on. Would it, would it come then obviously with some sort of, you know, download code so you get the soundtrack or obviously or a website or a URL of well, go here for the music? Multiple ways, like, um, you know, uh, that the cheapest version is just to do a download code and like for me it'll – it, like I'm, I, I'm not going to charge anybody for that. I'm basically so like whatever we can do the book, the comic book most cheaply for yeah uh, will be how we'll do it. Then if we do it with a CD, I think a CD might cost like you know a buck or two bucks depending on um, the, uh, the the kind of deal that we would get. Or if we did a uh, what do you call it a U a U U UPC? <laughs> what are you talking about? Uh, you know a USB. Uh, oh, US. Oh, a flash drive. Sure, yeah, flash sure. drive uh, is another way to do it. So there's a, there's a few. That's true. Ways, yeah, yeah. Uh, and it all depends, like you know, kind of what the cost uh, would be. Um, which uh, you know, uh, the the publishers that I'm talking to are all experienced in doing you know at least comic books for a while. So I'm sure they'll be able to help me figure out how to make it work. Are you working on a possible live show of this as well? Because you know, um, Art Spiegelman has been uh, touring – I shouldn't say touring because I think he's only done it still in less than 10 cities. Uh-huh. But he's done this production called Wordless, 
where he's gone back to a bunch of silent graphic novels that were made as uh, early as the 1890s and as modern as, I believe, the 1940s or 50s with a handful of graphic novelists that, you know, they weren't called graphic novels when they were made. They were called silent books. But then he commissioned this, I forget the name of the composer, but basically would go on stage, do a thumbnail biography of the creator, then perform the, the silent book with a jazz accompaniment. And it was fascinating. And it was on this big screen. I, I saw it at the University that of Chicago. Cool. It's amazing. I know he did it in Seattle. He did it in New York. I know he did it in Sydney, Australia. And if people, including yourself, search around uh, YouTube, you will find um, him in Sydney, Australia, explaining the project and stuff. But that's the thing. I really think, A, this art is incredible. And I, I think you could make that kind of production. Now, granted, that would cost uh, to put that kind of thing together. Well, think, but also, I mean, I'm just trying to find a way for you to make some money off of this and also, uh, like, entertain an audience with this kind of experience. Well, thank you. And and I think when we're done, uh, we'll be set to do that. I mean, basically, we, uh, me and, you know, I kind of want to do it with Will. Um, sure. You know, people have, like, encouraged me to try to, like, turn it into, like, a band thing or whatever. Like, and maybe, you know, if there's a reason to, we could get some other people. But, um, you know, I... I I loved I love Will. I love working with Will, and um, and he's such a big part of what gives it all of its ambiance. Um, and uh, so uh, I think uh, he and I would be down to do some conventions with the um, with our comic book uh, videos uh, projecting in the background while we do the tune. Exactly. Um, yeah. Exactly. Definitely ways that we can do it, and it can be really cool. Yeah, I think so, man. No, this is the kind of thing that you know how it is when you go to, especially in San Diego, that there's always cool shit going on at night. And you know, hey, you can either go watch Conan O'Brien tape, or you can watch a slew of comedians do their thing. But I really think this would be a kind of great live uh, music experience, along with the comic art that's that's happening, and it and it does become this very different thing. And I think that's that's great. And I obviously I think it opens the door for the two of you to pursue more of these if you know the inspiration comes as well oh well i mean the inspiration's there i i've, I've been tempted <laughs> to just kind of have them out and to do it like just for fun i i did one while while he was away too like we had one that we'd been working on like a buy a bunch of tracks that we hadn't finished or whatever um but they were all really good ideas and um i got to finish one off but um but yeah, no, we're we're sitting on plenty. There's plenty of inspiration, and and there's plenty of cool things to write about. And I I'm really looking forward to doing it again. I I'm in love with the project, how it came out, and I'm hoping that uh, you know it'll, it can find an audience. Um, you know, I I think there's people out there who feel like I do. Well, I want all right. So I think the plan is, uh, and if this is okay with you, and again we can uh, we can edit if if you find my 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 thought is here. I want to I wanted to pre preview this to get people you know aware of it, but also then maybe we'll come back after oh, uh, two hour out. Awesome, sounds good. And and yeah, and we can go into detail on symptoms in green and talk about um, you know the art the artist more. But the you know for now, just in terms of laying it out because. You're going to put this out February 1st? Yeah, Symptoms comes out February 1st. Okay, terrific. Well, you know, I mean, this is this is going out this week, uh, this coming week, which for yours and my purposes, uh, the week of the 25th. So it's the week before and everything. Or I could hold it a week if you'd rather and make it that, you know, we could, you know, go right to Symptoms and everything and say Symptoms is out now. Would you prefer that? 
I think you, would you prefer it coming out like February second? Our, our first conversation here. Oh yeah, that'd be great. What? How, All right, let's say that. Do it. Well, let's say that. Okay. Then. All right. So okay. So right now, people can go and download Symptoms, which is out. You know, was out on February first. Yep. Yeah, as you're hearing this. And, uh, and you know, yeah, they can check it out and they can check it out for free. They'll get the full video and they'll get the full song for free. Yeah, That's awesome. And it's, and it's going to be at, where's the, where's the website that people can see this? Um, the website's not up yet, but it'll just be, uh, blacklightdistrict.com. Okay. Excellent. Yeah. I kind of figured. Great. Excellent. And I know eventually there's going to be a published version of this. And in a, yeah, in a couple months we'll come back and we'll talk more about uh, more of the stories as they appear. But we've kind of already mentioned some names that are, are involved in this. Chris Burnham did the cover and uh, also uh, uh, code, you know, at least I don't know if he did the breakdowns or whatever for Bizarro, the he last did, story. He did or... the breakdowns for the last story that David Witt got to finish. He was very... Okay, and David, of course, did Symptoms. Yeah, David, uh, David did Symptoms. David is amazing. Um, David is a, um, like a... I mean, well, he's an artist, obviously, but he's, he does a lot of um, posters for, like, uh, music venues, you know. Okay. And, you know, and he just will do a million different styles and a million different things all the time. He's super, super versatile. And uh, my one of my best friends, Aaron Sparrow, uh, recommended him to me for this comic book that I'm uh, producing right now called uh, King of Kings. And um, I hired him to do King of Kings, and he is just knocking it out of the park. We're like halfway through the second issue right now. It's a okay. Four-issue miniseries. And um, in uh, the middle of it at some point, I was like, all right, dude, I need you to do uh, two of my things for my uh, comic book. He was in my like back pocket as I reached out to everybody. Because there's lots of people I reached out to who like I'll reach out to again, like let's say Jill Thompson, who at the time was dealing with like a lot of problems. She had her roof blew off her house and a whole bunch of things, and, uh, and she ended I'm not being able to fit in um, doing one of the comics, um, you know, and I re- ended up replacing her with uh, Andrea Tam. Um, but, um, you know, there was a lot of people that I had to replace and David Witt was just kind of my backup guy. Sure, um, sure. Because I had him, I was already working with him, and I loved his stuff. So I was like waiting to see what I had, and it ended up being perfect because I the ones that I I wanted him for was either Bizarro or um, or uh, Symptoms, and he did Symptoms, and uh, he helped uh, Chris Burnham do uh, Bizarro because he his uh, their styles are pretty similar. So it was it was a good uh, it was a good fit and uh, save save the day for me on that one. So um, and now I forgot my 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 question that I was about to ask you about David. Um, all right, so David did the first story. He did the second story. Oh no, and and uh, was Jill supposed to do Hammer? And then um, Jill was going to do Hammer. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, Try to remember what we talked about her doing. I don't rem- I don't remember exactly. I think what we talked about was a little bit more the original metaphor of the song, which oh. the song was supposed to be sort of a. A, um, you know, a fairy tale, uh, or not a fairy tale, a fable. About, well, yeah, more of a myth or a fable. Yeah, okay. about a guy who is locked in a cell, you know, and uh, chained to a stone and given a hammer and told, you know, you when you break it, you can go. <laughs> no, I understand. But, you know, again, I like the working class choice yeah. that was made instead. Yeah, that was like, well, that was the thing. Like we were able to kind of take everything somewhere else. But like, so we were <laughs> going to do something more like, you know, Count of Monte Cristo kind of kind of bit. I understand. But, um, 
Yeah. Well, I, and now I remember what I was going to ask you. Okay, so King of Kings, is it coming out now or is it um... – King of Kings. It, I'm is, hoping King of Kings will be out by the end of the year. Um, okay, like, good. Obviously, like you had told by the end of the year. Okay, because yeah, you had told me in emails about King of Kings, and I, you know, I was going to say, oh, did I miss it? And and yeah, I wanted to talk to you about that when it's ready. You know, you know, you know right, well, when it's closer, when it's closer yeah. to release, we'll talk more about. Absolutely. It. I, I, you know what the trouble with doing independent things are? Y- you are not the man. Uh, and by that I mean, you know, you're not the gigantic company that is that right. they know is the bedrock of society and will be there for forever. And people just freaking flake all the time, even when you pay well, even when you're really kind to everybody. Like, I mean, I'm really like the greatest boss you can have. Uh, <laughs> like, I, I I work with artists because I if I if I'm hiring you, it's because I think that you're an artist and I and I want to get the best art out of you that I can. And I think generally, the more you can kind of let people, you know, give people guidelines, but let them do their their thing is the best way to do it. And despite all those friggin' guidelines. It's so difficult. Like as soon as I finished the first issue of King of Kings, everybody who was working on the book just decided to take a break. Like, oh and and not so much to take a break, but like there was other jobs that they had to pri- that they that they well yeah that's what I said was happening and they couldn't sure, like sure. They, you know they weren't going to get in trouble from Jesse necessarily. And if I had friggin' yelled at them, what the hell would that help me anyway? Right, you're not going to get what you need. Yeah, exactly. So it's like if you're an asshole about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's just like it's a slow, <laughs> stupid process. But um, but David Witt had actually apologized to me at some point in the year, and he was like, you know what? Like, because he had got like burned by somebody who had like hired him for like a little something, and he was like, you know what? I learned a real bad a bad lesson because you are consistent and you pay me on time and you pay me well and you're great to work for and uh and I took time off for this stupid thing and this person sucks so and I was like I well at least you know eventually like it comes back and then so he's been like pounding out pages pretty good now and we're um we're on a good clip so I'm hoping we'll be able to like solicit by the end of the year I just had a big meeting about that the other day actually all right, good. Well, then, when King of Kings is ready, then we'll uh, we'll talk about that as well. Yeah. And you're a multiple threat, man. You're a multimedia threat, as we know. I mean, we know about the music and obviously the comics. And also, what I, another reason why I like Blacklight District is you're you're using a lot of different muscles. You always have in comics. You've written things as you know different as your Muppet comics for Boom to your Vertigo stuff to your Evil Ernie stuff. And I and I think you are capable of using different comic writing muscles, but also uh-huh. uh, then again, and I think you. it's reflected in these. Oh, absolutely, man! And I think it's reflected in the stories and the choices. And that's a, that's another interesting thing that clearly it was the artist that took the stories maybe in a different direction, but using your words still. And that's really that's even more interesting because I think it does. I think they they go in areas that if you haven't had the opportunity to write in those specific uh, story genres you have in the basic sense but again like frozen went from being like i said this captain america story to something very different yeah well thank you you know ego is good uh because it if without it you can't make any decisions you're fearless with ego exactly trust yourself Um, right but uh at the same time you know it can't be ego forsaken all others and you, you, you have to you know you have to value everybody the the same way as you would value yourself but you have to just be practical about you know what what you know of <laughs> of people and things and situations but uh i really appreciate uh that you saying that i my best friend and my brother i i had a conversation with both of them separately and i i asked 
them the same question, hoping what the answer was. And they actually both surprised me by telling me exactly what I wanted to hear, which was that I don't really have a style. Uh, I don't have a writing style. I try to bend to the will of the project, whatever it is. I just want it to be the best version of that thing that it can be. So, you know, whatever it might be, whether it's the Muppets or Toy Story or Evil Ernie reboot, um, you know, or a Hulk one shot, you know, or this Blacklight District thing, um, you know, I really try to make them purely, you know, something organic, something that lives. Have you had a chance to talk to uh, Jamie McKelvey and, and Kiernan uh, Gillen about Phonogram and, and has did Phonogram in any way kind of uh, make you think along these lines for Blacklight District? No, you know what? I don't even know anything about Phonogram. What? Fine image book. Oh yeah, and, you know it, I got Well, yeah, and it's and I mean it's it's a different it's a very different idea, and it's really more about the the music club scene uh, versus I think the different ideas that you are kind of projecting through Blacklight District. But I, it's it's an interesting. Pl- um, I like that uh, comics and music are kind of you know in the minds of some creators and everything, and I yeah. think it does kind of add a dimension to the storytelling when there's a soundtrack involved. I'm sad to say I am out of the monthly grind of like comics, like where I was like constantly kind of like paying attention because I was always there at the store on Wednesday and stuff. Now um, I I got, I just was too busy and I couldn't keep up with, with all the books that I had and I fell far behind and for a while I didn't read. So when I got back into reading, it was by like getting back to like kind of, trying to get a great graphic novel, something I hear really something great about or whatever. Like I love Manhattan projects. Oh yeah. Uh-huh. Well, Hickman, you know, and it's crazy fun history. And, and I can see a kinship to Manhattan projects with stories like symptoms and bizarro. Oh yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I, 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 I love, you know, love, uh, love his stuff. And I love, have you read Phil Hester's, um, Oh crap. What's it called? It's so good. Um, oh, I'm blanking out on it. I've got it. Coffin? Um, no, it's the one that he did for Boom. No, it's the one. Oh, wait, wait, yeah, wait. He did it for for Boom, maybe. Yeah, a couple of years ago. Now I can't think of the character's name. Oh, it Deep Sleeper. Deep Sleeper. Oh, sure, Deep Sleeper. Oh. Yeah, that was a long. That was a while ago, but yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a good. Oh, I love that was good. Deep Sleeper. <laughs> I have well, Deep Sleeper in my freaking pile of like of things to read for years because I you get you know when you're friends with comic book readers yeah. you constantly like get things and like and sometimes when you get backed up you just like don't have a chance to read it. Sure. So I would constantly just be like try to add one friend's thing to my pile so it didn't seem overwhelming, just one thing at a time. And yeah, I took yeah. that on an airplane and lost my mind over it and immediately gave it to my brother Shane, which is very meaningful because I because we like share like super awesome stuff with each other only. That's awesome, and I'm not surprised. And again, Phil is another very versatile creator that is capable of a lot of different kinds of storytelling. And well, everything. and I always forget that I, I got Phil. I got Phil in my book. I it's yes, ridiculous. It you know, you know how many of my idols I work with in in this book. You know, Chris Burnham's not an idol. Chris Burnham is a great friend of mine who I've known for forever and who I've always thought is the shit and is always oh, ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I I'm think with Chris you. Absolutely. But I didn't grow up idolizing Chris. What? <laughs> I grew up idolizing Jason Pearson. I grew up That's cool. idolizing 
Phil Hester and idolizing Eric Larson and Chris Iliopoulos, who, you know, Eric Larson does the old school colors on Manhattan and Chris Iliopoulos does the old school lettering on Manhattan. And I grew up idolizing, um, you know, I, I, JK was like, you know, really at the end of it, like as I was starting to become like a professional, but still, you know, I had seen a lot of his shit and I really, really loved JK. So sure. it was for, for me, it was like, look at all these wonderful people I have working on my book. This is awesome. No, it's it is absolutely no. Visually, your your artists are are quite incredible, and yeah, very good, very good, recognizable names. And as you say, the newcomers as well uh, come to the table, and they're not they're nothing to sneeze at, and they are excellent. And uh, no, every story is an or, or lyric comic experience. Again, I don't know what you call it. Yeah, because some of them are stories, and some of them really are just kind of a a feeling. Again, that the song evokes in terms of. Uh, there's not an end here because no, this is unfortunately a state of mind that either the country is in or society is in, or even in the ca- case of the hammer, the individual is in. Yeah. And it's just like, this is what I'm doing. They're all just, just <laughs> ideas. You know, they're all just the sure. one, one idea. I hope they're, they're all clear, you know, a nice clear idea that people will be able to connect to. I've, I had a lot of people get like kind of nervous over the pet because, because this was finished a while ago and I've been kind of sitting on it for a minute figuring out what to do with it. And a lot of people were just nervous about how different all the songs were and that even the songs, even the comics even amplify how different all the songs are. But that's why I love it. I understand. And no, I think, again, I think it would be an incredible like live performance experience as well that I think you can, you know, uh, do at a couple cons and kind of convince people from a proof of concept standpoint and I really think this can be a thing oh, well, thank that, you. that you could take out. Absolutely, man. No, I think it's really, really interesting. And, you know, too, um, people are trying to come up with happenings for the geek culture that is more of a uh, live music or club experience. And I've been to, you know, after hours where there's a DJ spinning and, you know, we've got a couple uh, artists just kind of up uh, doing, you know, quick sketches and just – having fun and some of it could just be very impressionistic and some of it could just be, Hey, you know, so-and-so is doing Captain America and another person's doing uh, Conan, whatever. Mm -hmm. And, and, and that's fun too in its own way. But that's why it's like, no, this is interesting that a a real story is being attempted in from both a sound standpoint and a visual standpoint through comic art. And I think, yeah, there's something here that I really think should be pursued and kind of like, Oh, that's, that's really, really good. Thank you so much. You know, the, the other thing that, that revs with the comic world that, that I liked about doing it in the first place was comic books are the, or the, the, some of the strongest uh, aspects of comic books are great as they are because of a revisionist history. You know, it starts with one artist and then the next artist picks it up and then the next, yeah. And um, I really like the idea of just like, hey, you take this. It it has a vibe to it. See what you see what you get from the vibe, you know. And comic book art, even more so, really, you know, it, it everybody's style has its own vibe. You know, every colorist has their own vibe, and um, and the atmosphere created like through all this is I just feel very u- unique, and it it. it um, it's it's really transcendent in a way. I, I I was I just came up with the idea, you know, to do it and like you know executed it. Um, but 
I didn't like sit down and like listen to it like along the way really or anything. I was just kind of like, you know, I would get things and I'd be like, oh, great. It looks really nice. Freaking looks great. Killer. And I kind of like figured it out as I went along. And then I like literally had to like put it together and like was like, ah, no, move this, change that, whatever else. When I sat down and finally listened to it for the first time, I was floored by how great it was. Like, like, and, and I mean, the music I had listened to a million times. I'd listened to the music so many times, producing it and getting it all together. I'd listen to those songs over and over again. But it was so different and so sure. fresh and so unreal. I mean, like, I just felt so honored and, and glad to be a part of it, you know, because each one of these artists, you know, came to the plate and, and executed something spectacular in their own right. And, and I, I like to think that uh, I, my organization skills or priming them was helpful on some level, but I, I just got to give it up to all my people for, I mean, just every single one of them is just unique and has energy and really obviously some, some love was put into them. And I mean, that's the hardest thing these days really is to get somebody to work on something that you did and to love it the way you loved it. Um, and that's how I felt. I felt like everybody really just gave me a little piece of their soul uh, when they were working on it. So I, I'm just, I'm super grateful. I understand. Well, you know, I think of this compared to say something like Arkham Asylum with Grant Morrison and Dave McKean. Oh. If you just read that script, Grant Morrison wrote an incredible Batman stuck in Arkham Asylum story. Uh, and really, if it just read as a script, it would make a very compelling prose story. Dave McKean comes in with his album rock kind of uh, design sensibility, makes it something completely even crazier, and adds this amazing dimension that really does it becomes something thing. different. It is a it's right. very, very interesting vibe, that book. I used to have that Arkham Asylum. I had a really great Dave McKean uh, poster of the Arkham Asylum thing. It was like Joker's head as the entrance to Arkham Asylum. I think, yes. Like that. Uh, it was hanging. <laughs> well, imagine, hanging. imagine if someone, yeah, imagine if someone had like. That you know, was hanging in the Blacklight District, not the current Blacklight District, but in the old Blacklight See, that's what I'm saying. That's Blacklight District. So, so a, a song would be written about that at that time. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. I mean, imagine another dimension being added if someone could come up with a soundtrack. And I think they could have. Yeah. And it would have been great. And also, you know, again, I being older and stuff, I am of that age of um, the ambitious uh, War of the Worlds rock kind of album uh, story that was made. And I don't even remember who the hell did it. Um, My friend Scott Lacina had done um, a music comics thing a while back with uh chaos comics and i think also with earth x okay oh i remember the earth x soundtrack to earth yes but it was more a score so it was like sort of an at it was like background yeah atmospheric listen to while you read the book but it was very cool well that's initially what i was expecting from blacklight district and instead got something very different that again i think Knowing where these songs came from and then the end result of what we're seeing with the comic story, no, it's really – it's pretty amazing, man. And well, and well, honestly, how in your in your printed – when you do the printed thing, I hope you do kind of say, hey, this you know, includes some sort of text piece saying 
this story started off as being a Thor story, Hammer, and look at what you know suddenly became of it instead. Yeah, yeah. I guess I should add a little uh, a little back page of uh, of notes, liner notes, man. Yeah, absolutely. To, uh, into everything might be a good idea. Yeah, yeah. The uh, you know I'm not trying to make more work for you, Jess. No, 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 no. <laughs> hey, man, I, I, I eat that like a sandwich. <laughs> yeah, no. Good ideas are good ideas. I'll take them. That a boy. So, and I started to ask, um, so what else have you been doing? I know you're, like I said, you're a multimedia threat. You're voiceover man. You're uh, cranking out your music and stuff. And um, Yeah, well, uh, let's see. I just put out um, uh, this song called Promised Land, which has actually been like out in the world for a while. You've probably heard yeah. it. It was yes, playing sir. on uh, Monday Night Football uh, for like eight weeks next to like. That's great. Yeah, next to like. Ace Congratulations. Ace That's fantastic. Papa, G Papa Roach and bands like that. Thank you so much. Wait, I was just I was just talking over you. So say that again, please. Oh, it was playing uh, on Monday Night Football next to ACDC and Papa Roach and stuff, which was very cool. And um, and then we we got picked up by uh, Smithsonian, which we had to get like vetted in order to be used in the background of one of their commercials to promote a show called <laughs> Boomtowners for them. And um, wonderful. So I've been getting a lot of placements. Like I don't know if you heard last year. Um, this movie Reach Me ended up picking my song out of like a pile of 60 songs, one song that I'd written out of 60. And um, and they used it not just for the credits of the film Reach Me, but uh, when Sylvester Stallone saw the cut of the movie and he heard the song, he said, you should use that to promote the movie. And uh, so they used it for the movie trailers as well, which was really cool. So wow. um, so this year I'm doing a really big push to do a lot of like behind the scenes music placements and because um, I do a lot of voiceovers and I know so many music soups and, and stuff like that. So um, I'm actually like right now I'm the voice of Kia Motors. Uh, Fantastic. And uh, thank you. Get me a deal. I need a new car. Yeah, I, I was trying to get a deal for a minute, but I it ended up it, it wasn't the greatest deal. That's the thing. Like I was supposed to Cheetos for a while, and everybody was like, "Yo, you get free Cheetos?" I'm like, "No, I never got any free Cheetos." Um, it was kind of cool when Kia was like, "Yeah, you can have our like discount thing or whatever," but it ended up just like the it ended up like during it changes throughout the year and the time of the year that we needed a car. They didn't have the best deals to offer. So, you know. <laughs> Thanks for your hard work. Hey, uh, you know, you have a lot of these cars. Can I have one? Yeah. Uh, I don't think so. But, but thank you. Um, maybe, you, maybe you've caught me, uh, John, on uh, Food Paradise uh, I, on Travel Channel. I, I, never... I can't watch that stuff, man. I'll gain another 50 pounds. Uh, well, it's like food. I love those shows, I, but then I really want a Reuben sandwich or, you know, yeah. something. Well, I, oh, dude, tell me about it. When I'm in the booth narrating, you know, next on Food Paradise, this delicious steak. And, like, I don't eat red meat anymore, but, oh, man, do I want to when I'm at that. <laughs> I'm just in that booth going, oh, my God, that looks good. Holy so which food paradises have you done? You did a steak one, obviously. What have you oh, done? Oh, I've done tons. I'm the, this is uh, the one I'm recording right now is my fourth season with them, or or rather three. Well, that's great. So you're the regular guy on Food Paradise. Yeah, they now? used to have another person for like the first like three seasons, maybe four seasons uh -huh. or something. But I took over for them a couple years ago, and that's they fantastic. Uh, and they brought me back a bunch of times now. It, the show's actually really great. It's very funny. The original show wasn't so funny. It was kind of kind of straight. Uh, sure. My version of the show. Uh, the, the scripts that they wrote for me were, were a lot funnier. And then once they realized that I could like tell a joke like that they would write, they started writing a lot more jokes. And I end up like interacting with the cut a lot. It's actually it's pretty funny. 
Oh, that's excellent, man. Yeah, I li- you, I'm gonna you, no, I will see it. I'll I'll risk uh, the calories to watch it. But and now I'm doing like animation <laughs> and uh, and video games and stuff. Like I just got in with Disney, even though I haven't been cast in anything. I'm like up for a lead in one of their Disney XD pilots, and I'm uh, wow, and I'm like on their short list. Like they don't do auditions; they just have like people they'll reach out to. So I'm on that list okay. of people they'll reach out to, which is cool. Um, and I did uh, Call of Duty and Final Fantasy last year. Congratulations. That's fantastic. Yeah, I'm excited. So like just more and more and, and just tons of opportunities. I realized last year that like something that was holding me back in my career was I wasn't willing to ask people for help and it was holding me back. And I so this year I just kind of asked everybody for help, uh, you know, of all the different things that I was trying to do, try to get things together. And everybody has just like blown my mind of how kind and generous they've been and just immediately rose to the occasion to help me and hook me up with various people it's it's really been very humbling and awesome that's excellent man well as your animation and gaming uh you know if you get some leads and stuff like that or whatever yeah let me know and we can talk about that stuff too because i'm fascinated and also as you said what are music soups music supervisors oh okay there we go choose the music commercials and all right, now I'm with you. Okay, you know, yeah, I was, yeah, I wasn't sure if that was a, a company thing or is, now you're talking about people that have that that job. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I, like I make my my money, you know, in, in commercials largely. Uh, it's just a lot less money to be made in like narration. I enjoy it, but it's a lot less money than like making getting money, you know, getting your voice in commercials. Um, but um, you know, so but I do. I work in like every every field of voiceover, and all those fields they are also using music. So I know all of these producers and people who either know music supervisors or you know are, and um, and some of them I'd been utilizing, but largely it was the people who would like ask me. And would reach out to me about stuff because I, I, I never like to be pushy. <laughs> sure, sure. You know? I understand. No, and and I think everyone is very self conscious about asking for help. Yeah, and they want to, and also sometimes you know you're just at that age of well, well I'm an adult and I know what I'm doing. I I, yeah. I should be able to do this myself. Yeah, you know, and I mean at this point it's like you know my my big thing when I when I first got into comics, it was a real uphill battle for me because my whole life I had watched. People come up to my father wanting something from him. They wanted his autograph. They wanted a picture. They wanted his time. They wanted him. And I just never wanted to be that person who was like coming to people with a want, you know, but for me, I just saw it as this constant barrage of like, uh, of, of people. So with comics, it's, if you, if you're not willing to go up to people with a want, you literally are dead on arrival. So I had to like open the door to ask people to read my work, to entertain the idea of giving me a job. And that was really, really hard for me at the time. And, um, you know, what I ended up doing was I just made a promise to myself that anybody who helped me, I would do anything I could for them, uh, you know, that I, on any level and that I would do a great job and I would be on time and the script would be 10 times better than they ever imagined it would be. And that they wouldn't have to do too much work editing me and I'd be kind and courteous and anything I could do. And I said, if, I went into every situation like that, you know, who could fault me, you know, for asking for somebody to read my script and give me a bit of their time. And I just kind of recently just made that exact same promise to myself all over again on a bigger scale. I just said, I'm going to help everybody. Uh, I'm going to help everybody. I need help. And uh, if you help me, I'll help everybody. 
That's cool. No, I don't blame you, man. And I, well, that's a good way to be. And, uh, you know, I think, again, this is the kind of kinship that I see with all of you creators in terms of, yeah, we're all trying to kind of do something new and different. And also in this DIY world where we are able to kind of make our own projects happen while we're also waiting for the man to give us the green light on stuff we'd like to make serious money on and stuff. Yeah, if we can help each other make it to the finish line even better, you know? Yeah, thank you, man. I, I, I appreciate it. I appreciate all your help. Thank you for having me on oh. uh, your show. And thank you for all the people listening. And uh, I hope you'll give Blacklight District uh, a listen and a, and a read. It's it's a, a labor of love. And we uh, we took our time to get it done right. Excellent. Well, before you go, I want to also I wanted to talk to you about some rock documentaries I've been watching because, oh, yeah, got it. It hurts me. And I know that you're you're a couple decades younger than me, but still. It bums me out that you know some of these great classic can rock I, people. Can I mention one more thing about Blacklight District? Oh, please, of course. Staring at this cover this whole time, and holy crap, did Andrew Dollhouse do an unbelievable job coloring Chris Burnham's cover to this thing? Oh yeah, you know, and I and I'm sure I make this point in the introduction, but the the minute I saw that cover, as you say, it's your you know it's an homage to your room, uh, and and it made me immediately when I saw it, I thought of my room as a kid, and also that great moment in Dazed and Confused at the end when, uh, you know, uh, the kid uh, is, uh, I want to say, no, it's not Mila Jovanich's it's uh, younger brother. Whoever the younger brother is at the end of Dazed and Confused, he's on his bed, he's got his headphones on, and he's lost in his music. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly the vibe that you're getting from that cover and everything. And, yeah, no, we were, we've all been there, man. The cover is my ma- was my manager's um... – <laughs> Uh, or Will Knox's manager's idea, the cover of the looking out of the Blacklight District into the city on fire. And I'm so glad that I went with it. You know, I mean, that's the thing I'm saying of the balance of ego. Like, you know, if I was an egotist, you know, you don't want to take the other people's, you got to take the other people's good ideas. You just got to be able to go, this will be better if you get everybody's fucking input. <laughs> you know? Absolutely. And what a great friggin' idea he had. And I mean, my designer, Brian Williams, like finished it off uh, with like the logo placement and like everything. It, it did, so many people worked on this thing and did such a killer job. Um, it's a slick package. And honestly, it's and, uh, the first song as the release of this podcast is coming out is available and that's symptoms so you'll be able to see the burnham cover we're just talking about and also experience and, and hey john should warn you he told me beforehand he was like are you sure you want to lead with symptoms that's kind of like the crappiest of the songs <laughs> no that i did not say crappiest of the songs that's okay and it, but, exactly and it's okay you can bust you on that because i symptoms yeah. is symptoms is a credibility track for for blacklight district symptoms is the heaviest one it's 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 hard it's a little harsh but it's it's what we mean and you know this is meant to be a wake up you know it, it's it's not meant to be quiet which is why <laughs> symptoms is kind of a little harsh and it, it you know symptoms was the last song we wrote and when i finished symptoms interesting when I, okay. when i finished symptoms i knew i had a project that meant something and and symptoms really defined the meaning to me um, because it's a rally cry, and I really wanted to get it out actually as fast as I could. 
um, you know, because I want to help Bernie Sanders be elected president. Uh, I'm sorry, Hillary Clinton is not the same thing. <laughs> Hillary Clinton is not the same vote. She is a corporate Democrat. She, it, The banks are in her pocket. And big money is what has destroyed this planet up until this point. And we need to get an honest person in the White House. Vote for Bernie Sanders, people. If you don't know who he is, look him up. He is an honest man. He has been an honest man for a very long time. And then look up Hillary's track record. She is not an honest man woman and these republicans are insane i couldn't agree with you more and i know that my republican listeners are like you asshole you did it again that meaning me and it's like i i agree i'm a bernie sanders hey, Rand paul is the only he's the only candidate that got my money this time all your republican listeners look Rand paul is a rational man and i'm sure you think of yourself as your own little version of Rand paul a rational republican but the reality is we either take care of each other or we all get freaking Fuck. screwed. Yes. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. It's, no, I agree, bud. I care of each other. Then, and the Republican libertarian idea of no, no, I'm fine. You guys seem crazy. You stay over here, and I'll just, you know, keep myself safe. That just does not work. Have I agree to with help you. each other, and they I can help agree. each other in our work areas. We can't be afraid to help out our coworkers, and we can't be afraid to help out the people in the same fields as us. We have to just help. We lift each other up. A rising tide lifts all ships. It's just true. Yep. No, I agree, and I think that uh, in other economic scary times, it has been the idea of trying to help each other get through those times that has made. Uh, a lot of people's lives more bearable. Absolutely, uh, and and I and I think it has to happen again. And I agree with you about the insincerity of Hillary Clinton, uh, who just she can't help it. She proves it each time. She, she's, and I mean, well, you know, she I mean, freaking just changed her stance on gay marriage. Just just did it. Like a couple years ago, she was like, I "Yeah, I guess so." You know, I mean, I know. that's not no, how it is. She's a she's a politician, and what, what the world yes. needs now is anything but that. <laughs> Well, which is why, which is why Sanders and Trump are getting the interest that they are. Yeah, and I'm and again, I and I and Sanders I understand. Can beat it. Trump. Well, you know, I hope you're right, and I and I'm. This is a very good Christ. I feel like I am in the back seat of a runaway car, and nobody's at the wheel. It's, it's and and and, and, and I and, you know this was about. This is why yes. I wrote it. You know, the <laughs> world is burning down outside, and we can't just hang out in our cocoons and let it happen. Yeah. I know, man. I hear like you. That's, you know, this is why I put it out, and, I, and I'm hope, hopeful that maybe the message will reach some people. Well, I get some people to very vote. Interesting. Nine months from now, it's going to be a very interesting world, and I don't even know what the hell is going to happen. And we're still, God, thank God, a couple days away from. I don't even know when the Iowa caucus it is. It might be the first or the second. So maybe it's already the, the process has already begun. Yeah. But yeah, I, I have no idea what's going to happen, and I can appreciate. Both sides of the aisle being disgusted, frustrated, and either they're not going to engage or hopefully they will and they will vote their the candidate of their choice. And I agree with you. I, I, I'm a Bernie Sanders person. Yeah, it's so terrible. I mean, you know, the, the, the idea that government's going to move out of the way in all aspects, meaning government is going to move out of the way to make it an even playing field. For everybody, 
No, it is not. No, it's Especially not. Especially no, not we... when the side of the aisle that the people who are trying to get that to happen is the same side of the aisle that is making sure that we never relinquish any of those special deals that have been made with any of these special interests that ex have existed for more than a, a century. The Flint uh, water issue is an example, a glaring example of, oh, there's too much regulation. No, there's not. No, there and is here's, not. And, 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 and anyway, I want to get and off of politics enough, because, again, I know that people don't tune in. people jobbed to do the regulating that we have in place as is. Yeah, it's absolutely. such a terrible system. The moment you look absolutely. into every side of it, it's just wrong. And, and, and we, that's – no, I agree to, We need to do something. No, and again, this does underline symptoms and that's <laughs> – that's why I'm allowing. Yes, it is. Well, <laughs> Let's well, to go as it far as we about. are. It's a, it is about poison. Absolutely, man. No, you're 100 percent right, and I and believe me, man. I do agree with you, and I know a good majority of my listeners that have been on the trip for 10 years know where my politics lie, and are probably not surprised that I'm a Bernie Sanders supporter <laughs> as well. But yeah, man, I and I understand. And again, burn, baby, I just want honesty, man. I, you know, people right? say, oh well, well, what if he can't get anything done? I don't want to. We can't vote like that. Let's right. just put the honest men in. Put the men in with the old long beards who seem really wise and really reasonable and have all of them have long, stupid, boring, pointless conversations and come out with reasonable ideas, not this stupid business profit-minded garbage. We are yeah. going to destroy the planet. Yeah. No, I agree with you, man. Honestly. I truly do. And I don't mean to shift you from a lighter subject, but I, honestly, I want to I want to make sure we talk about this as well. Um, because I, I started to mention Music the class, uh, yeah, man, because, uh, it's been, it's been an incredibly sad couple months where, uh, we're losing our heroes, man. I mean, God, I was still mourning David Bowie. And then the next thing, you know, I know as we're recording just last week, Glenn Fry, and it just, it, it I mean, I know these guys are, you know, There's they're not, not young, they're not young men Bowie's anymore. Bowie was, you know, I'm a big Henson fan. So la my connection with him is more for the <laughs> labyrinth. For labyrinth, right. really, the hard one for me was Lemmy Kilmeister, and yes, I that broke my heart in so many pieces for a lot of reasons. I didn't remember it when I found out that he passed away. I I, I was too young, but apparently he lived with us for like a couple months. Uh, wow, in my home when I was a little kid, and he was Uncle Lemmy or whatever. And <laughs> but I just have a really strong connection to him because of all of the things that he did for my father. Um, you know, uh, I'll, I'll explain a little bit cause it's a, it's a cool story. Um, Please. essentially when Twisted Sister went over to, uh, England, they played a really, really big festival. I forget what festival it was. Uh, but at the time Twisted Sister, you know, they were a bunch of blokes in makeup and, um, that was not really appreciated by that music crowd at the time. <laughs> Um, okay. and Motorhead, was it, Motorhead, was it because did they feel it was like a little less genuine because of the makeup and stuff no, and that it was more of a, things like ebb and flow and it was, you know, wanker homos, you know, like that was <laughs> okay. thing, you know, just the, the, the scene was like, no, this is gay. Uh, well, and again, we, well, so that's interesting because the Gary Glitters and the Bowies and the glam rock well, era. You're in a Motorhead crowd. You're in a, a heavy right. metal that's audience. True. So the heavy that's metal true. audience hadn't quite come around to it at that time. Okay. But um, I don't know exactly why or how it came about, but Lemmy Kilmeister ends up going on the stage and introducing the band. And he goes, I is my friends from, from America. Twisted fucking sister. You know? <laughs> Won't you give him a listen? Hey? 
you know, and he came on before Motorhead hit the stage. And this is my dad always likes to point this out. This is something my dad never did basically and like like had never did and never did to like to this day. He does not come on before his band comes on. So the idea of like Lemmy coming out before his set to casually go to the audience, "Hey, these are my friends, listen to them." Um that's it huge. was really show-stopping yeah, for the audience. The audience went, "Whoa, that's fucking Lemmy!" You know, and Lemmy, sure, it, absolutely. You know, if you've ever watched Airheads or you know, uh, you know, Lemmy is God. You know, Lemmy. <laughs> of course, he is God. absolutely. Oh. And for me, uh, larger than that, you know, so so Lemmy like helped in lots of different ways in my dad's career and like big ways by supporting him, and was also the only, the only major league frontman who will admit something which I believe many of them know. Which is my dad is one of the greatest front men who has ever lived. And he is certainly one of the tippy tops when it comes to heavy metal. And most of these guys pale in comparison to my father and would never admit it. But I would agree. Lemmy Kilmeister is on multiple videos telling the truth. D. Snyder is one of the greatest front men I've ever seen. Nobody could control an audience like my dad can. And um, and it is so true. And so when he passed away, I just knew it just really hit me because I knew what that meant to my dad to have been represented by Lemmy like that. And um, yeah. it, even thinking about it chokes me up. Uh, I understand. No, I understand, man. And I'm really glad that you brought Lemmy up because shame on me. I, I'm not being the metal guy that, that you guys are and your family represents and everything. It's like, you're right. And and also, Lemmy is right because your dad is a signature star in a way that other great metal bands don't have that kind of electric frontman. Yeah, they, and they, you're they, right, man. And that's the great thing is, you know, he just brings it every time and you get a good feeling when you see him, just as you did from Lemmy. Yeah, well, and it's why he's had longevity since, you know, with, with even though his his catalog isn't as big as others. But he doesn't sure. get he doesn't get enough respect and Lemmy was the first person to give it to him. And and I tell you from me as well, I just as soon as he died, I realized how influential he was to me. My first band, Baptized by Fire, which if you remember my song Juggernaut that I put out a long time ago. Uh, okay, was um, was meant to be Motorhead, but more commercial. Like 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 okay, like like more like sl- like a slightly slicker version of Motorhead. Like because I I always wish that Motorhead's production was a little cleaner. They they were dirty as hell. I sure, love them. Sure. They were such a mix of punk and metal, and I, I those were I love I love punk and I love metal. So my band Baptized by Fire was really like a little love letter to Motorhead, and um, and when I started working on my comic book that um you know hopefully will be coming out later uh, at the end of the year uh king, king of kings. kings um the basic premise is religious figures as rock stars in a battle of the bands um and um and you know for me it was all about you know giving even even uh, measure to all of the different religions you know there's 16 religions at the very beginning of the thing um you know and it slowly gets dwindled down until they find the king of kings of course uh, <laughs> but uh, one of the main one of the main uh, characters in in the bit is odin um and odin is based on lemmy kilmeister <laughs> and um, and Odin was like kind of the origination of the idea was my friend Mark Poulton came to me and said, uh, hey, man, you know, I'm not a musician, but I got this idea about taking uh, this 
classic rock band called Odin and the Gods of Rock, who are like the mythological characters and like doing a like behind the music of like where it all went wrong kind of thing. And I, everything was fine until Loki entered. The yeah, kind of, exactly, exactly. <laughs> well, it was like Loki, the god of jealous band members, and I was like, that's funny. And I said, well, can we use Jesus? And um, and he went. <laughs> Yeah. And I was like, all right, cool. I'm down. Like, so like, you know, cause for me, like I'd always been really curious about the whole thing of like Thor's hanging out in America, you know, and he's like fighting like for American ideals and like, right. you know, meanwhile, ultimately we're more of a Jesus nation. It seems seemingly, um, sure. you know, and, uh, you know, it just seemed like, why was he there? I had had like pitches that, that, uh, you know, that, that uh, never happened at Marvel where I was like, where I was trying to kind of establish, like explain that a little bit, but Eventually, like, you know, when he came to me, I said, well, that's awesome because I can do fucking revenge on Catholicism for the Northern Crusades, um, you know, <laughs> and I could finally, like, you know, kind of set the record straight for this whole Thor likes America bullshit <laughs> or whatever, you know, which uh, I go ahead. Oh, sorry. Which um, but it, the really funny thing was we I recorded a song to represent the the uh the comic like to promote the comic a little while ago called fight to the death because i just got this idea while i was working on the comic for the song to represent their their religious ideology as a band and we did a style copy of motorhead so we we like we're copying like you know how weird al does like style copies like the song sure. i wrote it to be like a motorhead song and uh, initially i'm like you know just for like simplicity's sake i'm like i'm like maybe it'll be you know it'll be me and my dad and then i'll get my brother shane to play loki and we'll pretend to be these three guys in this three-piece motorhead band and we'll sing this song and i called my dad maybe like four months ago and i said hey what do you think you know you're more thor anyway why don't you be thor and we can reach out to lemmy and and lemmy can be odin and my dad said said you know maybe like but like it'll take us a minute to you know to to get it done like and i was trying to get it done a little little faster and I'm and sure. he was a little bit under the weather like and my dad said last time i saw him he was he was a little worse for wear and um and and then sure enough a few months go by and he was gone yeah did you have you heard that mark Marin interview with lemmy no, I have. Oh, you should. I, oh, you okay. should, man. It's it's terrific. It really is terrific. And yeah, boy, that's a that's a shame. Are you is your dad going to be able to help you with King of Kings? Oh yeah, we recorded the song and um and uh, he sang. He we did it as a duet. It's actually if you go to my SoundCloud. I posted it up there early, just like because a lot of people liked it, and I was sending people over to like listen to it. Oh, check it so, out. So uh, yeah, it's 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 a fun tune. It's it's just like a, this classic, you know, metal tune. That's fantastic. Snyder and Jesse Snyder. <laughs> I told I, I told you uh, last year when your dad was touring with Rock of Ages, he came through Chicago, and uh, I'm bummed. I didn't want to because uh, I I used to work at the Prudential, uh, which is a, one of the bigger skyscrapers downtown in in Chicago, and right across from Millennium Park for tourists who may not know. And uh, there's a lot of radio and TV stations that are in the building, and D was making the rounds. Uh-huh. And uh, he was in our lo- he was in our lobby, and it was quiet enough that I probably could have came up to him, but I but it was far enough away that I didn't want to cause a scene, and I didn't want. And I also I understand too that he was likely on a schedule and booking around, and it bummed me out because really that ha- that is the closest opportunity I've had since knowing you to say. 
hey, nice to meet you. By the way, Dude, you better I'm go friends with to Jesse. My dad and say hello next time. I, I, I hope to. My father, I never see him as happy as when he says, hey, Jez, I was blah, blah, blah. And somebody came up to me and said they knew my son. <laughs> exactly. He loves that. Well, that's the thing, and I well, and you you basically told me the same thing when I texted you about it a, a months ago, and yeah, shame on me. And I do hope uh, eventually uh, that moment will come, and I'll be able to say, "Hey, I know your son, and I, I'm I'm a, I'm a friend, and I, he's a good man, and absolutely, man. Yeah, it'll happen." Yeah. So that's hilarious. Well, and also, okay, so back to the other the other uh, rock deaths and everything. I don't know, were you ever a Bowie? Well, you said with Bowie, it was Labyrinth and everything. Dance, did you magic, did you listen? Dance, jump, magic, jump, Labyrinth. <laughs> Did you listen to Black Star at all? Uh, and have you listened to Black Star at all? The new, the new, his new uh, no, but Broadway like, show that is also my, you know the it's on my list. But I've been like, I've just been like thing to thing since the new year. But yeah, no, I'm really interested in um, in checking it out. It's amazing. It really is amazing. And I really, I, I, I can't like be more impressed with the way he was able to orchestrate the release, or they were able to orchestrate the release. Uh, so close to the end of his own life. And it really is this poetic kind of, before I go, let me give you one more project and, and say goodbye with my music and everything. And it's just, it really is incredible. Yeah. And I'm, I, I'm, I, like I said, I'm still bummed about it, obviously, as I know millions of others are as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I, you know, so the videos are, yeah, absolutely worth seeing. And also, Michael C. Hall, Dexter, is playing the Bowie role on Broadway. And uh, Colbert in December had uh, Michael C. Hall on to just talk about the Black Star show mm-hmm. and then had uh, Hall perform one of the songs. And it was really interesting because Hall is enough of an actor singer. Yeah, he's great. I love him. He, I love Dexter. Yeah. Well, and, and also as a singer, it's really interesting to kind of hear him, you know, kind of uh, perform this because, you know, and this is another thing that I was going to ask about in, in terms of Blacklight District you know, Sinatra, the thing that made Frank great and everything was that he really acted out his songs and he really believed the lyrics. Mm-hmm. Well, and and I and that's, that's what I like. Everything is belief and attitude. You know, if you don't if you don't if you're not confident about it in the performance, you know, people hear that. Exactly. Well, that's the thing, man. And I really think with Blacklight District. You, your ideas from your song come through through your o- o- audio performance, but again, the art kind of also assumes the role of interpreter. Yeah, and, and as a as a good singer would, as a Sinatra would, just solely on his voice, or if you saw him live as he's performing and stuff. And that's the thing. I really think that's what makes Blacklight District work. Yeah, well, their as, style as their style becomes intermingled with the style of, or the, or the, I should say, the atmosphere. The atmosphere of the music becomes intermingled with their style. Yep. No, it, it, it absolutely works. No, absolutely works. And again, that's the great thing about Bowie and Black Star and also Michael C. Hall interpreting mm-hmm. Bowie's, you know, music and words. I mean, it's, it's really amazing. And, yeah, and the, I, I listen to so much stuff. Bowie's just one of those guys who I never got around to like listening like to albums. Like, but like you know, I I just finally started listening. You know, finally listened to like B sides of Queen. You know, like a few months ago. You know, prior to that, I don't ever sure. had the greatest hits. So like, I know Bowie's like hits and stuff. Um, and I you know a song here or there. And I've actually seen him play uh, at some point. But um, I saw him play. I think with Moby. 
or Nine Inch Nails. I don't know. Sure, sure. No, I think it was Moby. I, I remember when Moby was touring with yeah. or did a few shows with Bowie yeah, and everything. I, I Absolutely. Yeah, I think that was it. That's excellent. No, Sound and Music is the documentary that I saw um, right after the death. It happened to be running on Showtime. Mm-hmm. And again, it and it and it really takes this interesting transitional period in Bowie's career from early singer-songwriter with stuff like Life on Mars and Starman and Space Oddity to uh, when he kind of shifted his uh, his persona and uh, became the Thin White Duke in the in the later 70s and stuff with fame and things like that. And it, and it really is this interesting swing from Space Oddity, Ziggy Stardust to fame and, and, and the late 70s uh, Bowie. And, it, and it's this yeah, interesting chunk of his life. Myself. What, say again? I said I really have to immerse myself. No, yeah, absolutely. Well, and another, another. I mean, I, I don't know why, and I think because of the loss of Bowie and then Glenn Fry, I've just been like chewing up these like other rock docs. You mentioned a Quiet Riot one. Oh uh, yeah, the Quiet Riot one's really good. I forget what it's called though. But is it on Netflix or where? Where can people get it? I forget where I watched it. I watched that one a minute ago now, but it's really good. Just look a Quiet, a Quiet Riot documentary. It's very good. Sure. That's cool. There's an amazing one about the Who's managers uh-huh. and really the creation of the Who. And in fact, again, dovetailing into Black Light District, really interesting because their initial ambition was to be filmmakers, yeah. not rock and roll managers. Mm. And it's Terrence Stamp's brother, and I forget the other guy's last name. But the this is a, and it's a couple years old. It's only, it's it probably came out like in uh, 2013 or something like that. But it's uh, I heard actually I heard Jay Moore talking to the filmmaker about it, and uh, it's an amazing story. And I ended up seeing it, and it was just wonderful. A great great documentary. Did you see the Alice uh, Cooper one? I have not seen the Alice Cooper one. Tell me about that one. Well, is it a life? Is it a bio, or is it any specific album? Or no, it's like um, it's a bio. The Alice Cooper one is good. But more so if you know Alice and you appreciate, because like me, I kept it left me wanting too much because it didn't really give me a lot of context to show me why it was all such a big deal. It, the whole, it, the whole, his whole kind of persona and stage and and what he did with each album. Yeah, or, it's, it's real the build of everything, finding it, you know, his relationship with him and uh, the guitar player, uh-huh. which had been strained for a long time. Everything's really neat if you're a fan, and I am a fan, but. I'm not as big a fan as my dad and um, and his friend who were there, and they really, really enjoyed it. And I kind of felt like I was a little left out from so many of the things that they appreciated because they never bothered to set the time and the place and like how these things were affecting the world. So it was just sort of like factoids about Alice Cooper who you based on how famous you think he is. And so many young kids just don't know who Alice Cooper is. So when I see a documentary like that, I always wish it educated you a little bit more. Understood, and that's another thing that I'm interested in, um, because I ask this of comic book uh, writers as or, or or people that are uh, they're inspired by older comic book stuff, and and it comes through in their work. And Tarantino is like this as a filmmaker as well. Ooh, I, I because movie. well, you know, I was talking with uh, Rob Burnett. Rob Burnett is a is a film director and a television director. He's making that Star Trek fan fan film. That currently Paramount decided uh, that's a little too much like Star Trek. We don't like this, uh-huh. and it, and I think a news story came out in December about that. But he was saying it's a shame that a lot of classic science fiction gets dismissed by a younger audience because of it, it just being a 1950s film, 
and you know, I can appreciate people not being interested in something that is over sixty years old. That you know, they you know, or even seventy years old. That they that they really can't you know seem to at least initially connect to. And my point was, you need a Tarantino or some sort of hipster current guy or woman that can appreciate the old stuff, see what makes it great, reinterpret it into something new, and then when it comes time for the interviews or commentaries, they say, oh, you know, I was actually inspired by Hitchcock and that one great moment in Vertigo. And yeah, that's a suddenly a 1956 movie that's being discussed when they're talking about this 200, you know, 2016 release. Yeah. And you said, you know. You know, I tell you what, um, I'll admit to being super biased against Hitchcock Simply from, <laughs> simply from the aesthetic, you know, he walks into that stupid line. He's this fat guy. He's like overly serious. You know, things like that scare the younger generation away. When I finally watched Rear Window, I felt like such an asshole and an idiot. <laughs> I did. I was like, oh, my God, what a fucking amazing movie. I can't believe that he had me feeling all the things he had me feeling. And he didn't even fucking do anything. Well, that's the thing, man, because we're usually left with whatever their last image was uh, before they – and granted, in the case of Hitchcock, he lived another 30 years. But that TV series and that silhouette, that's the parody. That's the joke. Exactly. And you're right. A little kid's like, what's with the fat old man and why is everyone calling this asshole a genius? I don't get it. Well, and then you actually see a piece of the original work in his prime and you're like, oh, it's that guy. I saw it with my dad. You know, like you, the moment they, the moment they make you – a, the moment they turn it into a joke, you know, you lose steam, like on any level, it starts sure. to like work against you. So, I, I mean, I'm like, I, for a while, I was like really trying to be just as credible as humanly possible. Now, I don't really give a shit. I, I'm going to, I'm going <laughs> to overwhelm everybody. So, well, Soylent Green, you know, Soylent Green is people. That's the, you know, and obviously that's the, that's the uh, moment in the movie and, and that's the parody and everybody, you know, knows the joke. But nobody really goes back and actually watches Soylent Green. And Soylent Green is an incredible science fiction movie. And, you know, you, I've you really never be, seen it, but I'm very aware of what it what, what it is. It's amazing. And they and it's very well executed. Same with Planet of the Apes. Everybody knows the Statue of Liberty bit. And it's like, no, go back and really watch that movie. I, I always say, fuck you, Tim Burton, for shitting on that original movie. Oh, the makeup sucked and blah, blah. And it's like, wrong, wrong. You are so wrong. Franklin Schaffner was an excellent filmmaker and that film is amazing and yes it still holds up and shame on you asshole for missing the point because you are a great artist but i don't know what the fuck you're thinking I, again every art is subjective i guess yeah. but i get you know that's the thing and i wonder about with classic rock where it is in younger people and even younger than us because um i can appreciate that really it um retrospectively if i were when I was in my teens, if I were to ask my opinion of music that was 30 to 50 years older than me, I mean, we would be talking about Louis Armstrong and big band Andrew Sisters and Bing Crosby stuff that really wouldn't have interested me as an 18-year-old to 25-year-old kid. It's hard. I really have to separate myself from the pack because I don't think my – you know, I'm very open. So I like all kinds of music and stuff. And uh, I actually had submitted like a bunch of my music to this um, crowd like review thing like where like, okay. just a bunch of random people read, you know, uh, listen to it and give you their feedback kind of thing. And uh, and it was so interesting because like, you know, so many of the comments all like derive from like people trying to figure out what – 
kind of genre it was. And it was it was a hurdle for people sometimes if they if they couldn't pinpoint what it was. And it, it's so silly, you know, that that's like a thing. But like people need to be able to like, you know, figure you out to a certain degree. Sure. Well, and be willing to expose themselves to new ideas. And again, that's why you need that interpreter hipster of the moment, a Tarantino for film. Exactly, yeah. To say, you know, yeah, no, this is cool and this is why. These actors are cool and this is why. Another guy like that, Don Knotts. You know, most people know Don Knotts literally as the trembling guy that, you know, was, you know, in the 70s. and Or Mr. Furley, the terrible reruns on Three's Company. And – you go back 20 or 30 years and you see those old Andy Griffiths of Don Knotts in his prime and it's like, oh, no, there's a really smart comedian there. And, uh, you know, I was even – Cliff Nesteroff who wrote a great book about uh, the history of stand-up comedy and stuff. Um, we went back and forth and, and I'll admit I loved his uh, very negative opinion of Bob Hope. And again, I can certainly appreciate that. And Bob Hope really overstayed his welcome from a public standpoint uh, and we know him more as a senior citizen. But if you go back to those – very early 1940s films, he was really funny. And I mean, I, and, I'll, and I'll say it, I think he, he was actually capable of good comedy and a lot of people were influenced by him, guys like Woody Allen and stuff. And again, there's another ancient man, but well, it, it's, you, see the, you about, see the through line. You see the through line yeah. and the evolution. But isn't that the great thing too about the internet now? Because you can go back, you know, to all those yes. people. I mean, like when I was writing Toy Story, um, I went back and I watched... Every video of Don Rickles roasting people as like that's could. awesome. And then I put in I had this whole scene that I that I wrote where and I hope I have the original save somewhere, but it was scathing. As scathing as you could be in a kid's comic. And <laughs> I have <laughs> I have Mr. Potato Head roasts the the Buzz Lightyear variant action figures. And basically, he's just making fun of all the different variant action figures, but totally in the Don Rickles style. Like, I nailed the voice. Like, I nailed like, all of his little lines and stuff. And my editor and good friend Aaron Sparrow ended up having to rewrite the entire thing because it was so mean-spirited. <laughs> it was just – I mean – but it was action figures, so I was going for the throat. He was really trying to – he was trying to kill him. That's awesome. It was really funny. Yeah. I wish they would have let me keep that in. Well, I understand. But and again, that's why I think it's interesting. And I wonder how these rock docs are being consumed by kids, because if they are, if they care at all, because um, Brian Bendis's uh, daughter, his oldest daughter, Olivia, she's got her own little rock band. And she right now is such a sponge for classic rock and keeps going to Brian and Matt Fraction, who's a family friend, as people might know, and saying, all right, what's the cool stuff that I should be listening to? And they are pointing her to stuff and she's she gets it. I mean, and it's really it's it's wonderful to see. And also, as I told you, I mean, I'm starting to work at this classic rock station now uh, that I started in December. I've always been a fan of it. And it's kind of funny that I'm I'm working for them now. And uh, it's it's very interesting because I can also appreciate the feeling of, well, you know, that music is 40 to 30 years old that we're playing. I don't know how it plays with a young audience. And yet. I mean, God, every every movie trailer. I mean, God, I, uh, the Suicide Squad. I, they're using, uh, weren't they using We Are the Champions? Yep, it's actually like it came out recently that uh, this was the first year that more uh, more albums by older artists were sold than uh, albums by new artists. Wow, 
Yeah. And also that includes Yikes. record sales, which have been going up big time because people are frustrated with the quality of MP3s. It's interesting. Music is still, you know, finding its legs, which is why I tend to be kind of like, you know, like I'm I, I, I have something to say and I want to save the world. So I just want people to be able to hear my music and be able to get into me and into what I'm about so that I can keep doing this for the rest of my life. So uh, I don't really care so much about making money. I, I make money doing other things. Well, and I remember your dad's essay about uh, – and it was a response to – I forget which uh, older Probably rocker. It was Metallica. Yes, it was. Absolutely, man. And no, I – hey, man, I read your dad's essay and I you know, certainly shared it with my social media friends and I'm like, D gets it, man. And it sounds like you get it too in terms of you know, uh, it, just believe in the art and put it out there and find the audience and uh, you'll make it home. It, it'll be okay. I, I, and I understand. I mean, it's funny. I, I still, as as frustrated as you are and I am about the current state of the world and stuff like that, there is a small part of me that hasn't given up. And clearly, you, know, you haven't given up either. You're still fighting the fight. So that's the thing. I, I do believe that ultimately we'll make it home. I think so. Yeah, no, I think so as well. And I mean, it's something's got to give. And, you know, I, I think the more um, the more people there are doing it right and loudly doing it right the better and sure. um you know because the other people you know they 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 feel shame they gotta be receptive to the fact that as a society we want to be nicer to each other from now on <laughs> and acquiesce for our requests yeah let's try well i agree man uh, well, all right, we'll put a pin in it there, but, uh, no, I really, uh, I, I, uh, I, as, as we go on, maybe there are rock docs that we can, uh, sit down and discuss. I, I would, I would love to hear your, your point of view on them, uh, being a musician and also a student of the, of, uh, of the, of the genres that are uh, being kind of exploited. Did you see the Nina Simone one that's on Netflix and actually is nominated for the Academy Award this year? Oh no! I didn't see that one yet. I got a lot of one. It's called "What Happened, Miss Simone," and oh my God, what a amazing, tragic. Uh, there's successes in there as well, but man, that woman had a tough life. Oh, I saw the I saw a billboard of that out here. Lots of billboards in La La Land. <laughs> I understand that too. Yeah. Um, I was surprised that it was nominated for an Oscar because I again I saw it first on Netflix. Did you see the Wrecking Crew one? Oh. About the backup, they're the backup band for oh, a lot. Oh yes, of yes, yes, yes. I I didn't uh, I didn't see the whole thing, but I I I watched the trailer for that, and then I saw like a, a an extended clip. It's great, man. It's amazing, and I I, I know that uh, several. I forget which uh, television. I think Palladium or somebody must have run it on on their channel. There's a Twisted uh, Sister documentary that hasn't come out yet, but I've never seen such great reviews on a documentary before and um it's uh I'm halfway through it and it's it's pretty spectacular. Oh cool man, please let me know when that's uh, happening cuz the you know the other wonderful bonus about doing Word Balloon as long as I have and being at some of the bigger uh cons, I'm suddenly on a bunch of PR people's lists. Of hey, you know, I've got this amazing documentary. Would you like a review copy? And are you interested in interviewing the filmmakers? Mm -hmm. And uh, for a few of them lately, I've been like, yes. And I did a great uh, segment on Word Balloon about uh, the history of uh, Lucha Libre, which is the big uh, Mexican wrestling show out of Mexico City. Uh -huh. uh, and that was a that was a wonderful interview. I was very happy with that. I also did a political one called Best of Enemies about William F. Buckley and Gore Vidal's 
uh, debates during the 1968 uh, presidential campaign. It's an incredible documentary. It's on Netflix. And I was very happy to talk to the filmmaker about that. Um, and I mean, that's the thing, man. I, I really, again, this, these are, these are echoes of my young childhood and, uh, certainly like, you know, I mean, I, I really was, I was born in 64, so really was aware more in the seventies decade and on, mm-hmm. uh, the, but you know, was certainly part of the sixties and had glimpses of, you know, the, the crazy shit that was going on at the end of the sixties, but I was, a you know, barely a toddler when all that shit was happening. And, uh, it's, you know, it, it's fascinating to look back. And like I said, I don't know what the interest and appeal level is for people south of 30, but I do think that there's some interesting stories. And I think it's stuff that really hasn't been covered in documentary or, uh, various specials. And I'm glad to see this stuff being, you know, getting its due and hearing these stories now before these guys, you know, get too old to tell their stories or God forbid die. Yeah, you know? I mean, I find that if you're somebody who is good at learning from other people's mistakes, a documentary will teach you a few dozen mistakes yep. in in short order. So, I mean, you can definitely educate yourself on uh, the music business and other things uh, going in there. But, uh, yeah, there's a bunch of really, really good ones. It's um, It's a good time to have a computer and an internet connection. Yes. Absolutely, man. Well, you know, in a few. All right. Well, we'll we'll check back and we'll check back on uh, uh, more of the uh, Blacklight District uh, uh, experiences, uh, yeah, lyric lyric best, comics uh, as they come the out. The best place to check out the lyric comics will be in the in video form on my YouTube, which is just uh, backslash Watch Jesse J E S S E. Okay, so YouTube Watch Jesse, the Watch Jesse channel. Yeah, YouTube. Excellent. Dot com slash Watch Jesse. Okay, great. And so, and and symptoms is is already posted there as well as at blacklightdistrict.com. Yes, it will be when they hear this, baby. Excellent, <laughs> man. Very, very cool. No, honestly, Jess, I think this is a great project, and uh, I I'm happy to let people know about it and uh, track it as it as it happens. So uh, we'll uh, we'll do another conversation in a couple months and uh, talk about more of uh, the full selection of uh, this initial launch of uh, the six songs. And stories that are behind Blacklight District. Great, John. Thank you so much for having me. There you go. Another word balloon in the books. I hope you enjoyed today's conversations. It was all brought to you by InStock Trades at InStockTrades.com, where there are great deals happening now on some really fun books. Things like the Elseworlds Batman trade paperback, Volume 1. Reaching back for writers like Doug Munch and the great artist Norm Brayfogle, a few others as well. Uh, things like Batman as a Green Lantern, some of the other alternate history ideas that played out in Elseworlds. It's 50% off, just $17 and 49 cents. You can also reach back in Marvel history and enjoy Hawkeye and the Thunderbolts from writers like Joe Casey and Fabian Nicieza and Kurt Busiek and Mark Bagley drawing, again, Norm Brayfogel, uh, a few others, but it's uh, a great volume, 50% off, $19.99. You can also get the Daredevil by Frank Miller Omnibus Companion, 45% off, just $55 from InStockTrades.com. And don't forget, if your orders are $50 or more, you receive free shipping from our friends at InStockTrades.com. John Sutter saying thanks again for listening to Word Balloon. Thank you, League of Word Balloon listeners, for your support. Do me a favor. If you get Word Balloon through iTunes, would you write a review and rate the show? That would be terrific. Uh, Also, don't forget, Word Balloon is available through SoundCloud, through Stitcher, uh, of course, WordBalloon.com. 
And uh, if you've got any questions or comments about the show, you can reach me via email, john at wordballoon.com. You can follow me at Twitter, at John Word Balloon, or uh, under uh, Facebook under my name, John Suntress, and of course, the Word Balloon Network. Thanks a lot. More show to come. April isn't done, and neither are we. Uh, stick around in the next couple of days for another great episode from Word Balloon. Until then, thanks for listening. Word Balloon is a copyright feature of Shaky Productions, copyright 2016.